get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. I know that the Padres are a better team when they're 100% healthy, but they also haven't been in the playoffs for a while. The Cardinals, granted, have been away for a while, but they've got some really tested guys on their team led by the catcher. So I think it's a toss-up series, but I think it comes down to Lamette and Clevenger. Exactly what are they going to get, if anything, out of either one of them? All right, I'm about done with these national reporters. About done with them. Now, Tim Kirkchin is on a different plane. He is well-measured. He's a good analyst. He's a fantastic human being. What did Timmy do to you? Nothing. Tim okay. is Tim is I not feel like included. I should have Timmy's back a Kirkian, little bit here. He is not included in what I am about to say. All right. I've done a lot of reading over the last 24 hours, Jamie. 27 of the 30 ESPN analysts are picking the Padres in this series. 10 of the 12 MLB.com writers are picking the Padres in this series. All eight of CBS Sports writers are picking the Cardinals to lose. And nine of the 10 athletic writers are picking the Padres. The lone exception said specifically in his description of what is going to happen in the playoffs and why he picks the games that he picked, quote, I simply picked the opposite of what I want to happen because it's 2020 and that's what's likely to happen. Wow. I don't like that. It's a one. really good point, though. Yeah, but I don't like I don't that. like that's it. It's a, a great point, though. That's like not just a slap in the face. That's like the glove that has like a couple of rocks in it. That you don't expect it. Well, let's be honest here, though. Nobody wants the Cardinals to win. In I do. total. OK, nobody. Outside 54 of, of the 60 <laughs> riders that I read from last night picked the Padres to beat the Cardinals. Guys, the Padres are probably the better team in this series. Like, I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there as the disclaimer. They are not 54 out of 60 riders to pick them better than the Cardinals in this series. It's a three-game series. Have we all lost our collective minds here? <laughs> we are playing three games, and you have to win two of them. If there is one thing that I know about this playoff, this postseason, this wild card round in particular, there's going to be some weird bleep that happens. There's going to be some real surprises that move on. The Dodgers could very well lose in this first round. They absolutely could. They're the best team in the playoffs, and it's not close. In a three-game series, the worst team in baseball can beat the best team in baseball. We see it all the time over the course of the regular season. And yet, for some reason, Jamie, people are acting, these analysts that I'm reading are acting as if it would be the biggest upset in the history of sports if the Cardinals would go into San Diego and beat a Padres team that stopped hitting, by the way, over the last two weeks. Okay, so why are they doing that then? What's the reason? Because I know you, BK. You didn't just, like, let this lie on the surface. You went digging. You put your mining helmet on, and you Hell were like, yeah, I, I have 
to find out why they're all favoring the Padres. It's because of the star power, right? Okay. Like, we've all watched Fernando Tatis Jr. He's fun. He's exciting. He's a really good player. They have two fantastic pitchers at the front end of the rotation. But do they? Should be noted that they're both hurt right now. And we have no idea if they're at 10% of their typical health or close to 100%. We have no idea right now. Eric Hosmer's really good. He's had a great year for him. They've got stars all over that lineup. That's why people are picking the Padres, because they trust their offense. That being said, isn't the postseason typically about pitching and defense? Haven't we seen this? Like, you got to have a a requisite level of offense, as we saw last year from the Cardinals. But more often than not, if you've got the better pitching, you typically win in the postseason. And the Cardinals go into the playoffs with maybe the best pitching staff in the National League. So I have no issue with it. I'm going to say it right now. I'm picking the Cardinals to win this series because it's absurd how many people are picking the Padres to win this series. It's not that big of a gap between these two teams. I would normally not agree with you, uh, but I am going to agree with you on this one. I think that for me, starting KK... That's that's the one. That's the outlier for me. I don't the Padres have not seen him. There's very little as far as a library on what he's done and I'm sure they've gone digging over the Korean baseball league and try to dig up video there. But I feel like if the Cardinals can slide KK in there in game one, which they are, he pulls out a big performance, they get a couple of hits, all of a sudden they steal game one. Guys, you know how that works. All the pressure goes back mm-hmm. onto the Padres. And maybe they crumble. Maybe they don't. You know, like you said, some of these guys, their bats have cooled off. Maybe they need a little bit of a rest. So I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here right now. Maybe the couple of days that they've had off, yeah, they've got some rest. They maybe get their swing back. I don't know about the pitching where they've had. The rumor has it they were throwing aggressively yesterday, whatever that means. I'm not sure in the baseball world. Somebody text line can help me out. 65780. What is throwing aggressively? <laughs> Did you mean? yell when you throw the ball? Could be. Um, but It's yeah. what Stalter does whenever his child's upset and he has to crow hop to throw the toy into the next, day, next door neighbor's yard. Does the chair toss. He yes. aggressively throws the chair. Correct. Now you're understanding. Which I respect the move, by the way. Um, okay, so now I've got a better understanding of it. Guys, I'm picking the Cardinals, too. I really am. I think that I love, by the way, the fact that Mike Schilt pulled the old switcheroo. Yeah, what the hell happened? No, yesterday? I like Mike Schilt listens to the show. I know that for a fact. And he called, he pulled the old flippy floppy and was like, "Yeah, you thought Wayne was going in the third game? Punked. You're wrong. We're pushing him second game. I like that a lot." Wait till you see what happens in game one, and it's not KK. <laughs> just continuing to just it's throw. Carlos. It's no! Okay, now you're getting a little too aggressive. You're turning into the Padres by that move, by the staff. way. Because Wayno's starting on four days rest now instead of five, which... Wayno needs no days rest. This guy, where you, uh, you've is, seen it. He Wayno pulls is, his shirt open and there's an S on his chest. Wayno is Chuck Norris right now. He, he doesn't is. need rest. We I, need memes like that. I did see, by the way, on Sports Illustrated earlier today, Tom Verducci did a piece on like why pitching is going to be the key to success in the postseason. Yes, Tom, we know it's typically that every year. Tom it's, really put himself out there, it's huh? It's nothing new. It's a, um, it's a hot take. He did have a great <laughs> he did have a great note in it though. Adam Wainwright is the only pitcher all season in all of baseball that threw at least 120 pitches in any individual game. Adam Wainwright, the only guy to do it this season. And the oldest player in the NL, right? It's wild. It's wild what's happening with Adam Wainwright this year. But yeah, the Cardinals are going to have an opportunity because of their pitching. All they've got to do is get a little bit of hitting in this series, and they're going to give themselves a chance. You're right, though, James. It's all about game one. 
if you can go out there and get game one, I feel really good about their ability to win this series. And part of that is, of course, it's a math equation. And by getting game one, you're one away from being able to win the series. I love it when he gets smart like that. But also, <laughs> all you I'm need at out. that point is like Harrison Bader had a really great game on Sunday. Just do it again, Harry. You can get it from anybody in any individual game. Harrison Bader can step up in one game. You might be able to get a Brad Miller takeoff in one what game. What do you mean might be able to? Millsy's well-rested. Yeah. Millsy is going to show this team what's up. I heard he's going with one glove for the playoffs. Really? Yeah. One glove. Yep. Did it work for Michael Jackson? It could work for him. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort Kinda service text line. Doesn't mean he was a good guy. The text line's very upset with me. I didn't think about this. Wow, already oh, we're only wow. twelve minutes that in. That was fast. Damn. What'd you do? They probably From were upset the three with you one four. What are you doing, BK? We all know what happens oh, when you right. pick a side. Oh, that's right. The Chiefs yes. were supposed to lose last night too, weren't they? That's a good point. From the 636, son of a bitch. <laughs> From the 314, thanks, BK. Cardinals Nation now holds you responsible for single-handedly ending the Cardinals season. Just BKO. Just BKOing all over the place. Oh, no. Hope the Cardinals pro- prove ESPN wrong, but I don't have any faith in that now that BK is picking the Cardinals. <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to come on here and lie to you about how I feel about any individual series. BKO'd from the 618. Um, not great. Great. Now you got Mo upset. Yeah. Jeez. I don't think that I have this kind of power. I don't. I don't believe it. Well, that's cute. BK, you have the greatest power. I don't know if it's a gift or a curse. <laughs> you uh, you might be a wizard for all we know. But the BKO is real. I don't believe that. Okay. Jinxes aren't real. Jesus you can talk Greg, about it. He is making Greg, this now worse. Now I hope I don't walk under a ladder He's today. He's making this worse for Bam! all of us. He got it. You can talk about a no-hitter during the game, and it's still <gasps> potentially going to happen. Wait, actually, we should go back to that. Can what? we talk about no-hitters during a game? Yeah, why? Oh, because I received a text not too long ago, and Daniel Ponce de Leon had a oh, no-hitter going. Yes. And I, I have the text At messages. At least it wasn't the next batter. <laughs> right after BK goes, no-hitter watch for Ponce, bingo, base hit. I'm not here to talk about the past. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Speaking of Ponce, we should talk about the Cardinals' rotation and how they've decided <laughs> nice to go about step it. Of that one, BK. Move it along, Just BK. KO some more people. I think Jeff Passan speaks for a large portion of national analysts and fans when I read what he said earlier today. Said Flaherty, even with this 4-9 ERA is the Cardinals' best pitcher. He has the best stuff on the staff. He has the right attitude. In fact, Cardinals manager Mike Schilt said on MLB Network yesterday that Flaherty would go in Game 2. Then suddenly... Cardinals decided that he wasn't going to go in game two. If they win one of the first two games, it's going to look very smart. If they don't, though, they will have lost a postseason series potentially without ever using their ace. This is one of those things where I think the national audience is going to view it very differently than we do here locally. Yeah, because they're not paying attention like we are here. Because nationally, they still view Jack Flaherty as the Cardinals ace. We know here locally that has not been the case this season. If the Cardinals were going to start Adam Wainwright in game three, what Jeff Passan just said actually applied. 
because if they lose game one and they don't get to game three, they will have not pitched their ace in the series if Adam Wainwright was pitching game three. He's their ace. Adam Wainwright has been the ace this year, so I understand it's on short rest. I think it is a little bit surprising that they made this move. But if that's the route that you're going down is you want to make sure that your best guy goes out there in game two, well, then that's what the Cardinals are doing by pitching Adam Wainwright in that game. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Our audience continues to be very upset with me. I understand that. Last night, I did not BKO the Chiefs, who I am a fan of, but I did finally see where some are coming from on this Lamar Mahomes, Brady Manning comparison. I'll tell you where it does apply and where it most certainly does not. We'll get into that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. You want it to be a rivalry because you have two of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the league playing against each other, and, and they could probably play against each other a ton in the, in the next couple of years, maybe in the AFC championship games. But until one of them beats the other one, then you, you won't have a rivalry. So I'd say no right now, but I think everybody would love to see that. They'd love to see what Brady had against um, against Manning in all those years and then some of the other great rivalries over the years. That was Warren Moon yesterday on, or earlier today rather, on ESPN talking about this rivalry that everybody wants Patrick Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson to be in the comparison to Brady versus Manning. Listen, right now it's not a comparison. It's, it's not where Brady and Manning He just was. hates that, doesn't he? It's not where that was at the end. When we think of it as those two guys going back and forth for the right to play in the Super Bowl and those two guys fighting for supremacy in the AFC basically every year towards the end of their career. However, there is one place where I actually do think the comparison is apt. It's right at the beginning. We don't think of this very often, but Brady started his career 6-0 and against Peyton Manning. It included two playoff games in that 6-0 start. Manning didn't get his first victory against Bill Belichick and the Patriots until 2005, which was after that first uh, three Super Bowls that the Patriots had under Tom Brady. So if you're trying to find the comparison, it's that. Manning and couldn't find a way to get over the Bill Belichick-Tom Brady duo. Just like right now, and Lamar Jackson said this last night, the Chiefs are his kryptonite. He can't find a way to get through that team for whatever reason. Which, by the way, I would have never, not even at gunpoint, would I have ever said that. 21-1 and against everybody else in football in the regular season and 0-3 now against the Chiefs in the regular season is what the Ravens are since Lamar Jackson took over. Brady, in those early games, beat Manning by at least 10 points in five of the six games. Dominated. Absolutely dominated the Colts. In those six games, Manning... Threw a combined nine touchdowns and 10 interceptions. He was awful against the Patriots. Every time they played him, it was like, why can't Manning find a way to figure out this Bill Belichick defense? Very similar to why can't Lamar Jackson figure out this Kansas City Chiefs defense? We are seeing the beginning very similar to what the beginning was for Manning versus Brady. Now we've got to see Lamar develop the way that Peyton Manning did, where in the end, 
Manning actually got the better of Brady in the postseason. He finished his career three and two against the Patriots in the playoffs. That's what has to happen next for Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes to be the next Brady versus Manning. Well, it's a rite of passage right now, right, for Lamar. Like, you're sitting there, and even though they're the same age, it's not like he's up against the old veteran trying to, you know, be the get the torch from him. It's two guys that are kind of, you know, very similar skill sets in a lot of ways. I do think Mahomes is more talented overall than Lamar. However, Lamar is certainly one of the top three quarterbacks in the league, I would say. Mm-hmm. I have him... Mahomes and Russell Wilson are like to me on a level of their of their And I own. think it's Mahomes and Russ and then Lamar after that on a different team. I would agree with personally. that personally. Um but see here's the thing. What and I'm gonna give you your moment here to just go fanboy Chiefs here for a second. Um what is it about the Chiefs defensively? Because are they that great defensively? Like when I think back to Tom Brady and those championships with the Patriots or the, the when he was beating Peyton Manning, Bill Belichick always had great defense as well. They had a good offense. They had some superstars on offense come in from time to time. The Randy Moss has made their appearances, this, that, the other. But their defense was so great. What is it about the Chiefs' defense that's so great? Because I really haven't heard that much about it. Yeah, it, they're not great. They're good. They're better than a lot of people think because we think of what they were two years ago when they had their old defensive coordinator and they were running the exact same scheme on every play of every game. So we think of that one and we don't really think of what happened to the postseason last year when the defense actually really stepped it up. That's who they are now. They're solid. They've got decent corners. They've improved the position. They've got really good pass rushers that get after the quarterback. Um, and they, Steve Spagnolo, who people here in St. Louis know personally very well Spags. he he's very creative with what he's going to do defensively now it can come back to bite him there were three plays in a row last night where they did what's called the cover zero which means you have nobody deep it is man on man on the outside and you are bringing everybody if you've ever played madden it's engage eight that's what the chiefs did on multiple plays in a row last night full court press that that's super risky <laughs> and it can come back to bite you but lamar was seeing ghosts in the pocket at that point and so spags knew what he could do he could get him into a bad situation and there came a point in time late in the game where Lamar wasn't even looking deep anymore he took the snap and he basically like immediately (laughs) took his eyes down to try to figure out where the rushers were coming from that's when you know you're on the other quarterback's head Lamar just he had a bad game last night he was terrible and that this is why I say that Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes are on a different level than him you can game script him out of out of his comfort zone Lamar still, despite being better in the passing numbers, is not the passer that Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes are. And when you get behind, he's now 0-5 when his team gets behind by 10 points or more in a game. 0-5. He's well, never won one of those what games. What are some yet. of the other quarterbacks so they get down by 10 points? Because I feel Mahomes like being down by... Mahomes went 3-0 in the postseason last Mahomes year. Mahomes knows it how to actually happened. do it. Huh. Okay. So, well, yeah, you take Mahomes, you take Brady, you take some of the big names. I'm sure 10 Hell, points. even Deshaun Watson has done it in the past. Yeah, he did it against the did it against the Bills, right? Yep. In the playoffs. Last year, so, yeah. Yep. It, it, I'm just trying to get a, a, a gauge here of like how... It's rare. It doesn't happen often. To start 0-5, though, I think does show you a little something about his skill set and how it does not play well in those particular situations. I don't want Lamar playing from behind. I want him when I'm ahead. He's like 2015 Cam. Remember Cam in 2015 when he won the MVP? When that team was ahead, it was unbelievable to watch. 
when they got behind in the Super Bowl, it was over like that. And you knew it was going to avalanche on him because they don't play the same way whenever they're behind. And so that's where Lamar still has a little bit of play uh, of room to grow. He still needs to get better there. But this this is a really fun matchup between these two teams because they are so different stylistically. But I think Lamar last night showed us once again, it was another reminder of the gap between where Lamar is right now and where Mahomes and Wilson are. I think those two are clearly the two best quarterbacks in the league. This is where, well, first of all, before I get to what I was going to say, we got to pin or we got to single out some of the offensive scheming from Andy Reid last night. Okay. I know you were geeking out last night. And like I said, I'm giving you your moment here. The text line calling me out. Six, three, six says you geek out on Brady and the Pats. So I want to hear about the chiefs without you crying. All right. I'm not crying. I'm trying to set him up here for his geek out session. But some of the schemes Andy Reid presented there, like I was joking in the break, he had the four receivers on the one side, like literally lined up. I call it the oop-de-oop from Varsity Blues, you know. But that's really what it was. I know they call it something different. And then, of course, the play at the goal line where it was that little pitch play. To the fullback. It was incredible. I I geeked out at that moment. I felt like I was BK for a couple of seconds (laughs) there. when When that play happened, I don't think I've ever jumped up out of my seat before. But when I did, when I saw that play, that was sensational that was Andy Reid at his best yeah what we saw last week I I think we now know after watching that game last night Andy spent Chargers week when he was preparing for the Chargers preparing for the Ravens there wasn't a whole lot of thought put into the game plan of how are we going to be able to beat this LA Chargers team and the big the big game changer Andy Reid's had a clean visor two games in a row (laughs) yes and they're even talking about that on the broadcast Steve Levy is breaking down the the face mask of Andy Reid and he's got it more aerodynamic too it's like NASA came in after they finished doing their 23 million dollar toilet they came in and adjusted Andy Reid's visor I watched him in the warm-up he's sitting there talking to guys that thing is crystal clear can I say this too I know everyone's talking Andy Reid and rightfully so but I don't know how other teams when their coaches are on the hot seat this season are not talking about Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, I oh, mean, yeah. this guy has to be a head coach of a team. For he and Andy Reid, what they do together, this guy's got to be in charge of an offense somewhere else. Did you see him getting after the offense after th- they had two bad series in a row, um, right coming out of halftime? And it was when uh, Darwin Thompson had that fumble. Yeah. It was right after that. You, they showed a shot of Eric Bieniemy on the sideline getting after the offense. And at that point, they've already got 28 points yeah. against one of the best defenses be in the league. It's like 28. 10 and that's that's exactly what he was saying on the sidelines it looked like so yeah he, he needs to get a job there's one other thing that stood out to me about that game last night and I think it's something that you're gonna love Jamie because Patrick Mahomes has a little bit of the pettiness that Michael Jordan has I hate that word and I I made a lot of fun of Michael Jordan for it but now that it's my guy doing it, it's pretty cool. Here's what the broadcast oh sounded like last night as Patrick Mahomes counted to four on his fingers. Patrick Mahomes, he doesn't have any bad nights. One, two, three, four. What do you want from me? So they thought he was talking about his fourth touchdown pass. His fiance then goes on Twitter and says, no, 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 no. Don't you guys remember over the summer when the NFL top 100 list came out and Patrick Mahomes was at number four and Lamar Jackson was at number f- number one? Yeah, that was him counting to number four and then doing a little bit yeah, of a the shrug. Like, shrug. You're, you're really going to have me behind this guy that's on the other sideline as I'm Jordan out here whooping his, you know shrug. what? I that's, like it. That's the pettiness that Michael had that you love. I do. Mahomes has a little bit of that in him as well. I do. Listen, I think the world of Patrick Mahomes, and I just, he is the, right. said Russell and Mahomes are right there together. I love it. I love that he has some of that, I'll call it flair. I don't like petty. It just doesn't vibe well with me. He's got some of that flair, that competitiveness, 
in him to want to be the best, and he should. That's his job, and that's what the great ones are made of is that kind of stuff. Eric Bieniemy called him a competitive prick. And I think that's the right phrasing for it. Him Wasn't and Michael. very nice. Yeah, come on, Eric. Although I want that guy as my quarterback then. <laughs> With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Jeremy Rutherford is our Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. Yesterday, he wrote a great piece that we talked about a little bit, talking about Bobby Ryan and what kind of a fit he could be here in St. Louis. We'll talk to JR about that. Plus, what was his reaction last night as he saw Pat Maroon for the second straight year hoisting that cup? We'll talk it all over with Jeremy Rutherford when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. He is Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. JR, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well, doing well. Can I tell you that uh, my son, my seven-year-old son, hopes that this is a very long interview because I told him when we're done here, he's got to quit playing video games and do his schoolwork. So (laughs) I don't know if uh, he's going to slip you guys a few bucks to extend this a little bit. All right. Hey, JR, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. (laughs) (laughs) I am more than happy to be bribed, so we can maybe work something out with him. Uh, JR... (laughs) I'm assuming that you were not watching my Chiefs beat the hell out of the Ravens last night. You were probably uh, watching the game uh, from the Stanley Cup playoffs. What did you make of the Tampa Bay Lightning winning last night and our guy, Pat Maroon, winning for his second year in a row? Just phenomenal. You know, Tampa Bay went through a lot last year, losing in the first round. And we've always said, you know, Ken Hitchcock said a a number of times that teams need to be hardened. They need to go through tough times before they can become champions. And that's exactly what happened with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Couldn't be happier for John Cooper, Kevin Shattenkirk, and Pat Maroon, the hometown hero. And guys, just looking at the the celebration on the ice last night, see Pat Maroon lift the cup for the second time. It just made me think, uh, we go back to last year, regular season, I asked uh, public relations with the Blues if I could sit down with Pat. Things weren't going well for him. And it's kind of one of those situations where you you have to wait it out. You know, he's going to come out of the shower. You'll eventually get a few minutes with him. You don't know how long it's going to last. You don't know how he's going to respond to the questions about his season not going well. And I just said, hey, look, you know, let's just talk about your season. And he said, people have doubted me my entire career. All I have to do is keep working hard. That's all I have to do. I think we even talked later that afternoon. He was a little bit worried about how things would come out. And the headline was the big rig could be headed out of town. And now you have a situation where he's got back-to-back Stanley Cups. Uh, It's just uh, phenomenal that he's in control of his story. And uh, the story he's written has just been amazing. JR, for me, it it just sheds light on the value of creating culture and finding the right players that can do that. And here's what I mean is the Tampa Bay Lightning last year, by far one of the most skilled teams maybe ever in the NHL. They get bounced by Columbus that has good culture and great character guys. So what does Julian Breesbois do? He goes out and acquires a Pat Maroon. He goes out and gives a Kevin Shattenkirk, who has a chip on his shoulder, a chance to redeem himself. He goes out and trades for an aging Zach Bogosian, to which Buffalo didn't even feel like he was needed anymore, but the guy's a warrior. Those three guys alone changed the culture of that team and in the celebrations following the cup victory last night every one of the skilled players couldn't wait to find one of those gritty guys and put their arms around him and thank him so for me i think tampa 
taking a page out of the Blues book, quite honestly, is going out, establishing a culture, and getting guys that care and that can come through for you in the big moments. It means a lot. You're exactly right. And there's been a few times the past couple of weeks where I've tweeted about Pat Maroon and, and what he's meant to the Lightning. And you get a few responses, people saying, oh, yeah, the Lightning are in that position because of Pat Maroon. What about these uh, superstars on their team? Well, you know what? The superstars couldn't win it before. They needed to get people in like Pat Maroon, like Kevin Shattenkirk, and like Zach Bogosian. And what did John Cooper say a couple of days ago when he was asked about this team? being different from the past. He said, this team has a personality. Riv, you know it. You know what Pat Maroon does in the locker room. You know what he does on the ice, on the bench. We've been walking through the Blues locker room where it's kind of quiet, maybe you know not a lot going on, and, and Pat Maroon will cut a joke, and the whole team's laughing, and then they head out to, to practice, and they carry that attitude with them. You can look at all the analytics you want to, and they are important, but you have to have guys on your team like him. And, hey, let's not take away from what he meant to that game last night, knocking down that uh, clearing attempt and starting the game off. I think he, getting that second goal was really important. Uh, Pat Maroon was a contributor and helped this team win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, Jer, I'm glad you just brought that up, that play last night. And I'm going to dive even deeper and look at each and every series Pat Maroon has had his thumbprint on it. You look back at some of the overtimes where he's been a big part of it. He's had an assist on the goal. Or you can't see anything except the big rig in front of the net because the goalie's so screened. Heck, we just have to go back a couple of games ago, and he's blocking the view of Hudobin in overtime, and Shattenkirk puts it in the far side. Last night... I think the big guy gets underrated for how talented he is. And yes, he's not the fastest guy in the NHL by any means. He's a big body. But I would argue that there's three guys that are more talented with the puck on their stick. Pat Maroon has incredible puck skills. And last night to come off the bench, knock it down with the backhand side of his stick in stride, take it, make a play, then doing big rig stuff drives the middle lane right to the goalie where nobody even took him. So now he becomes even more of an obstacle for that goalie, creates that goal. So, yes, his his value in the locker room and what he does on a daily basis is great, but there's really good value in the kind of player he is, and I think that's the biggest thing that helps Pat Maroon. Well, that's the thing is your team has to have some skilled players, and the Lightning certainly have that with a Kucherov, with a point with a headman who wins the con Smythe. Look, Vasilevsky uh, plays every minute of the series. You have to have those types of players on your team, but you win Stanley Cups when you have second and third line players and second and third defensive pairs that can contribute in a manner uh, that people like Pat did. And, Jamie, you just highlighted some of the things that he's done during this uh, playoff run for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Look back to last year. Hey, this isn't to say the Blues don't win the Stanley Cup if they don't have Pat Maroon, but look at that third line of Bozak, Maroon and Robert Thomas in that Winnipeg series. You know, they were difference makers early on in that series. And, and of course, the Blues wrapped it up and they were able to play well, you know, against Dallas, against San Jose. Of course, Pat with a big double overtime goal against Dallas. But you have to say that in these two playoff runs, Pat Maroon has made a difference on the ice. So talk all you want, like you said, about locker room, cutting it up things like that, Pat Maroon has had an imprint on both of these runs for both of these teams. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. He's joining us here on Ribs and BK. JR, you also wrote a great article yesterday for The Athletic, and I wanted to talk to you about that because you brought up the name Bobby Ryan, who Jamie Ferrario and myself, we talked a little bit about him late last week whenever it was announced that he was going to go on waivers 
You said there's potentially mutual interest between Bobby Ryan and the Blues. First of all, what can you tell us about that interest from the Blues side? And what kind of a fit do you think he would be here in St. Louis? Well, that's kind of a speculative piece. So what I do is I just have one of those magic eight balls and I say, is there any interest in Bobby Ryan? And that's it came what BK out, yeah. does every day. So, <laughs> that's my job. <laughs> so, so I ran with it. Uh, but, but no, I think there's uh, some interest there. You know, talking to people involved in the situation, you know, Bobby Ryan doesn't know what he's going to do yet. Look, he was just bought out uh, last week and the season's a few months away. I realize free agency is, is coming up here, uh, but he doesn't know what he's going to do. But the bottom line is, it kind of does make sense. At first, I didn't think so, but the more I thought about it, the Blues need a veteran. They're going to be without Tarasenko. This isn't to say that Bobby Ryan, who's had you know 10 to 15 goals the past uh, three or four years, is going to step in for Tarasenko, but he could be a bottom six player who fits into your lineup. And maybe if there's a Jordan Cairo up there in the top six and, and you have to put those types of guys in position to succeed, so you'd like to see a Cairo up higher, you know, maybe Bobby Ryan's a guy who can take some shifts from him in a game if it's not going well for Jordan Cairo or a guy that can fit anywhere. Also, power play, seven power play goals last year. So, you know, I'm not trying to paint the picture that Bobby Ryan's going to come in here and, you know, be a headline player for the St. Louis Blues. But you're looking at a, at a guy who isn't going to command much money. He's got some experience in the league. He's got some offense. You talk to people in Ottawa, he's still got some game left. It's a situation that the Blues are in up against the cap and they need offense. So I think it does make sense. Yeah, JR. So look, I'm with you on this one here. Is I'm more of a why not than why on this one. And here's the way I look at it is Bobby Ryan has been a top three forward before in the NHL. He's had some fantastic seasons. He has dropped off a little bit, but I also attribute that to being what I call the black hole, the Ottawa senators to where careers have gone to die for some guys. And Bobby Ryan went through some tough times while playing with Ottawa. He's on the rebound. The blues also have an assistant coach. that's on the rebound. That could be a tremendous support system for both of them. And if Bobby Ryan is right, He's easily a 15 to 20 goal scorer for you. And let's not forget that he was killing big penalties in Ottawa at one point. He's a guy who reads the play extremely well. He's not as fleet of foot as he used to be, but he's gifted with the puck. And I do think that he would be a great guy to have to play on one, two, three in your top three lines, anywhere on the right side, heck, even on the left side. So again, I'm more of a why not than a why on this one. Yeah, and if you're Bobby Ryan and you're looking at, I'm sure he's going to get a few offers, you're looking at two things. Is the team uh, competitive? Yes. And do they have a spot for me? And I think they do. I think those two things uh, factor in well for the possibility. So we'll see, you know, like I said, free agency just around the corner, and he's going to have some options. JR, when you look at what the Blues still have to do this offseason, and of course it all comes back to Alex Petrangelo, but I'm under the impression there's nothing new there. So you also wrote about some of the speculation on which guys could potentially still be traded if they were to bring back Alex Petrangelo. As you talk to people around the league, who are the guys that realistically you think the Blues could or would move if they decided to bring back Petro? Well, I think you really look at the the roster and there aren't a ton of options unless Doug Armstrong is just going to surprise everybody with a move and and trade one of the household names. But, you know, with the Jake Allen trade, that takes one guy off the board. And then you look at the Alexander Steen situation. And uh, from what I've been told is the Blues aren't going to buy him out. And realistically, it doesn't make a ton of sense. You only save $2.4 on the cap. I know you guys have broken that down. And by the time you put another player in his spot on the roster, you're actually saving less than the 2.4 so you know it's it's not Allen it's 
potentially not Alexander Steen. So you're looking at guys uh, like a Tyler Bozak, $5 million on the last year of his deal. Next year, do you have to retain some of that? Do you have to give up an asset to move Tyler Bozak at some point? then maybe he doesn't make sense. So, you know, I mentioned the name Jason Schwartz. I don't think the Blues have interest in trading him, but his contract is up after next season. So you're just going to have to make the puzzle work. And that's why I think, let me let me wrap up with this, is if, if Doug Armstrong and the Blues have Alex Petrangelo done by now, I feel like they can go into this next eight, nine, ten days prior to free agency knowing what needs to be done and they know what their money situation is. You know, yes, they have a number pegged for Alex Petrangelo, but not knowing which way this deal is going to go, I just don't think that they can go into uh, this next stretch knowing exactly how it's going to unfold and and what kind of money they're going to have and what holes they're going to be able to fill and can they fit a Bobby Ryan in. So Doug Armstrong has experience. He knows how to react when certain things happen. It would just be a little nicer to have that Petrangelo thing done one way or another so that the Blues can proceed. But, you know, this is why they get paid the big bucks. Well, Jared, we're going to be reading your reporting over on The Athletic, following you on Twitter, at J.P. Rutherford, for all the latest when it comes to Alex Petrangelo or any other moves that could be coming for the Blues. We always appreciate the time, man. Tell your son we wish we could have taken you longer, but this is all we've got for today. <laughs> Homework time. Thanks a lot, guys. Sounds good, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. 65780. I was was caught in between with zero and O. I don't know why, but I was caught between. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. Questions and answers is coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. service text line for questions and answers let's start with this one from the 636 bk we need to hear more mizzou talk what'd you think about their opening week loss against alabama i'm gonna kick this to jamie rivers first jamie what was your impression of the mizzou game against alabama well my impression was i thought it was a victory because they covered the spread they were supposed (laughs) to lose by 27 they only lost by 19 i know there's no moral victories when it comes to alabama but i do believe that in this case a team that has never played for coach drink a bunch of guys who have never been together they've never had one official snap together as a team and then they got to play Alabama, which is a juggernaut for I don't even know how long now in Nick Saban's robots that he puts out there on the field. I thought it was a victory. I was pleasantly surprised. I picked them to lose against the spread. So I thought they were going to lose by at least 28 points in this game. They ended up losing by, what was it, 17, 30, or 19, 38 to 19 in this one. So they covered the spread. That's a win, as you said. I thought that there was very little that surprised me in terms of the good players performing well, which is good because against Alabama, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes your stars don't even look like stars in the game. The number one thing I'm going to be looking for in this Tennessee game, do something that surprises me. Do something that impresses me in a way that I didn't see coming. Sean Robinson, go have a great game. Kiki Chisholm, their grad transfer at receiver. What a name. It's an amazing name. He did very little against Alabama. He's been talked up all fall camp. Let's see him go make a couple of plays. Let's see maybe one of the defensive ends show a little ability to rush the passer. I want to see them come out and surprise me in this game against Tennessee. This is one that could change the trajectory of the season. They're able to win this one. I'm going to feel a lot better about what Missouri is going to be this year if they at least keep it close and it's a competitive game into the fourth quarter i think that's that's really what you're looking for in this one 
65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. From the 636, guys, I stumbled across Jamie starting trouble on Twitter last night by stealing Pat Maroon pictures. What, what was this all about? Okay, so I was actually going to bring this question up myself during this segment, and I'm glad that the 636 here brought it up. So last night, as soon as Patty wins, the first thing I do is I send a text to Patty. Congratulations, Big Rig. We're so bleeping proud of you. Great job. Second thing I do is I go dig up some pictures off of Google to show Patty Maroon with the Stanley Cup as a blue. And then they didn't have one, obviously, yet uh, with the lightning, him holding the cup. So I just pulled a generic lightning picture from Google. By the way, Google's accessible by everybody, right? It's public mm-hmm. platform, isn't it? Not? Nah. Is it or not? For real? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. So I post this picture of Pat Maroon and this one guy, like, jumps on board, like, five or 600 likes in. He's like... Hey, you know, you shouldn't be stealing other people's pictures. This is copyright. And I'm like, what? First of all, no, but hang on. Okay. First of all, the picture that I took off Google had nothing. It was just a picture. Didn't have copyright. Didn't have anything. Didn't have a watermark. For all I know, it could have been Mrs. Maroon that took it, who I'm friends with. So guess what? I'm going to borrow that picture. Yeah. I mean, he he is right. Technically, it's a dick move understood let's just be honest i get it um we're trying to celebrate a moment he's trying to catch some spotlight but i took a picture a year ago and now somebody's no, it's it's not about that it's getting credit for the work that you do I'll give him credit don't be a donkey <laughs> dm me on the side and i'll give him credit sure who, who, okay bk it's let me, not about you for for don't stop me here <laughs> right now if i don't know who took the dang picture if i don't know if it's not marked who am i supposed to give credit to you're not supposed to use it. Like, that. that's the way that that's supposed to. Oh, yeah, because nobody uses pictures off Google. No. Calm I'm, down, Michael. Calm down. I'm not. It's ridiculous. I know that my stance on this is very unpopular with probably the vast Shocker. majority of our, with our with our listeners because, like, being a photographer is a very thankless job. And when you have. What, you want to get paid for me using that? Yes, that's exactly what he wants. Well, he, then, he wants you to know get what? paid then when watermark his picture the is damn used. thing. <laughs> plus, plus mark the hell out of the plus damn it's thing. it's on social media. What is Jamie what benefiting I, off yeah, of a picture? Nobody's he, paying him. I'm not selling it. But if you do work for something, I'm going to start selling my tweets. Then now you can now you can bug me about By copyright. By the way, did everyone catch the uh, humble brag of Jamie in the middle of that? You know, five, five or six hundred likes in. in. Well, okay, well, I guess it did come across Thanks, that way. Jamie. However, what I was trying thousands of followers. What I was trying to say, by the way, Jamie River 8 on Twitter. Um, but what I was trying to say is that it was all the way into what? Like, what's the point now? I understand. I, I, I get where you're coming from. And pictures are a frustrating conversation for anybody that works in this this business that we're in. Um, and, and I'm surpri- not surprisingly getting crushed on the text line 65780. Oh, hey, I got some supporters here. 314. No, actually, they're, they are not right unless you're using an image for commercial purposes or making money off it and its reproduction. You do not know anything for the use of this picture. That's right, 314. That's not entirely how it works. You're, you're supposed to be credited for the pictures that well, you're taking. I gave taking. him credit afterwards, and then he fired back again. It would have been better if he didn't steal it. I didn't steal it, you jerk. I, You went to Google Call and them. you got the picture. I get yeah. where, I get what you did, and I understand it. Well, and then, you know what? Barstool Sports, then, they owe me copy. 
copyright because they took a picture that I had of the celebration and I sent it out to Spit and Chicklets, buddies of ours, and I said, I can't imagine that RA is not in the locker room somewhere. And they took my picture and used it on their official website. Did you give them did you give them approval to do so? And you no. texted it to them. If not, then they and if you were upset about it, you could have them take it down. Portnoy, call me. You owe me money. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Coming up next, let's keep this going with the NHL Stanley Cup final. Patty Maroon, Kevin Shattenkirk both deserve our praise. We'll talk about it coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Right point, Klingberg shoots, block, it's out of the zone, into the neutral zone, eight seconds left, Barkley Goodrow after it, shoots wide, right of the open net, time ticks down, the Lightning with the Stanley Cup, they have reached the top of the mountain, they are the Stanley Cup champs. That is the proper amount of excitement you should have for your team winning the Stanley Cup. That audio courtesy of the Tampa Bay Lightning radio network. What Better a make moment. sure you do that. You, you do. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> Just like with pictures, we have to credit where we get what the audio a great from. Moment. The Lightning with the Stanley Cup. They have reached the top of the mountain. They are the Stanley Cup champs. Can we do a you did, who did it better? Because I loved Chris Kerber's call last year. And I got to say, I think Kerbs outdid that one. <laughs> this one had the enthusiasm, unlike anything you'll yeah, ever cause, hear. Because Kerbs didn't scream at the top of his lungs. The Lightning with the Stanley wait, wait, Cup. Listen close. They right? reached the top of the there, mountain. He burst a blood they vessel in his hand. <laughs> the vein was coming out of the neck. He's permanently damaged in his forehead because that vein just blew apart. You know the uh the meme of the guy that's just like standing there he's got the veins popping out in his forehead and his neck yeah that's what i imagine he looked like the entire time that Here, he was judge going it as you want a team that was in last place on january 3rd the players on the bench are bouncing up history will be made tonight in boston 15 seconds to go as shen blocks a puck to the corner 10 seconds remaining get up st louis get on your feet Raise them high. Five seconds to go, and the time winds down. They did it. It's over. The game is over. The series is over. The wait is over. And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in franchise history. Curves That's was pretty better. damn good. Curves was better. <laughs> Curves comes close to a little bit of a blood vessel there at the end. Yeah, but. The Lightning oh, the yeah, never mind. Come on. They have reached the Listen. top of the mountain. They are the Stanley Cup champs. That was the vein busting. The best thing about it, guys, too. Sounds like me last night watching the Chiefs. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. Which, by the way, we'll talk about that later. Um, the best thing about that is that guy's not in the building. That guy's like yeah, in his basement yeah. at home. I've seen that guy. Mm-hmm. He's got glasses and a little mustache. Yeah. And I've seen this guy. They've had some video on the Lightning website. Yeah. He's like in his basement making this call. What do you think? Like, I'm just imagining he has like a two-year-old daughter that's crawling around next to him. <laughs> what do you think the daughter is thinking? Uh, she's she had a heart she's probably screaming upstairs, too. <laughs> she's developed a twitch permanently. <laughs> He's got a six-year-old dog. It's a, it's a shih tzu that's just upstairs, like, barking at What'd the sky it? right now. Huh? What'd you call Oh, I, I don't like being cussed at. Uh, tinfoil. 
Yes. That's what I called That's him. Name. Uh, a huge congrats to the Tampa Bay Lightning, but more in particular to Kevin Shattenkirk and Pat Maroon, two guys that we both, uh, we, we love them here in St. Louis. And Pat Maroon talked after the game last night, Jamie. I thought it was a really good quote because it's something that we've talked a lot about here on this show about how difficult it was going to be to win this Stanley Cup. There's a lot of people that said that these titles that are won in 2020 deserve an asterisk. They do because they are some of the hardest titles that you will ever see one in any professional sport. Here's Pat Maroon on how difficult this has been last night. Oh, no, wrong one. <laughs> I want to first say the boys, you know, obviously with COVID, they came together as a group. We had a plan. Um, they sacrificed, you know, being away from, from their families and kids. And um, I think it's probably one of the hardest trophies to win. And it was probably the hardest win. I think we've we did a good job, and obviously we didn't have family there. It was a little different this year, but uh, it's nice to celebrate with these boys. We worked we worked our nuts off, and we deserve this. Good Jay, for Patty. I know you talk with a lot of these guys, Jamie. How difficult now that it's in hindsight? How difficult was this for these guys to be there for so long? It was really hard. Uh, in talking to a number of guys who were there, then eliminated, and even talking to Patty as the final was beginning, the emotional wear and tear was the hardest thing. And people say, oh, the military, this, that, the other. I get it. And it's always hats off to military people who sacrifice so much for us. But it doesn't mean we can't take our hat off to some athletes that sacrificed a lot. Yeah, oh, they're paid millionaires. I get it. I got all of your arguments. I understand it. But they also, these NHL guys, they're technically not paid in the playoffs. Their paychecks ended a long time ago. This is about the pride of winning the Stanley Cup. And it's about, too, some of these guys said, we want to thank the owners. We want to make sure that they get some of this money back. The NHL's done a great job taking care of a lot of guys, no matter what the arguments have been back and forth through CBAs. That's a group that wanted to do something special. And the time alone there was hard. The bubble in Toronto... It was more equipped. It had more things to do. Once they moved to Edmonton, particularly Tampa Bay Lightning, they realized what some of the Western Conference teams had been going through. And it brings us back to some of the Blues guys' comments about how we just never really got settled because it just wasn't it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. So to your point about it being a, a unique Stanley Cup, yeah, you're damn right it was. And I think that it was probably harder. Imagine trying to play in that last series with not one person in the crowd. Where are you pulling your energy? You're defeated at times. You're laying on the ice exhausted. There's nobody there to really pick you up except your teammates. So to Patty's point about being so close together as a team, they had to be. They were their teammates. They were their best friends. They were their family. And they were their fans all at the same time. They wore a lot of hats for each other. So, And before I, I, we go to anything else, credit to John Cooper. He gets forgotten. I know you guys are younger. John Cooper started his coaching career here in St. Louis. And has won at every level. St. Louis Bandits came to town from Texarkana. Kelly Chase and Brett Hull owned a part of the team and out of the old Hardy's Iceplex. And John Cooper did everything for that team. Was GM, coach, I mean, bus driver, you name it. He won a title there and went on to win the USHL, went on to win the American Hockey League, and now has finally won the last one. I texted him last night. I'm like, wow, that trophy room's getting crowded now, right? <laughs> So credit to John Cooper, Pat Maroon, who I call them local products, and Kevin Shattenkirk, who was one of the best guys in the game ever. Still to this day, when I talk to him or text him, he always asks me, how the boys doing? 
because he remembers skating with my boys when they were like seven or eight years old. That's awesome. That tells me a lot about a guy. So I'm really happy for these guys. And, and also Luke Shen, brother Braden Shen, winning with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I put this out there last night. I don't, at least from what I went back and looked at, this is the first time ever that the top five picks in a draft have all won the Stanley Cup. And three of those guys were on the team together in Bogosian, Stamkos, and Luke Shen. But I mean, I couldn't be happier for Patty and for Kevin Shattenkirk. Shattenkirk was one of the best guys when he was here in terms of always giving time to people to talk and just cared so much about the game. But you, we talked last segment about the donkeys on social media, and I'll give you one because I put it out there last night. Congrats to Patty because this was such a difficult trophy to win. And somebody responded to me and said, this was nowhere near a difficult cup to win. There's no road games, no travel. Still oh, difficult on. to win at all. But Tampa didn't or you can't compare this bubble hockey to the real thing. I can't believe somebody really has that take that because there was no travel and no road games that there was no comparison to what the real thing is. Because there was also this, a record of back-to-back games yeah, too in NHL playoffs. And think of the overtimes that the Tampa Bay Lightning played. Think of, I mean, who cares about travel and road games? You're basically playing an entire season of road games locked in a bubble. You don't have the luxury of going home to your family to decompress. You're going to a locked room by yourself to decompress. Remember how baseball players said from the very beginning, nope, we are not doing a bubble. We are not doing a bubble. It's too long for our regular season. We will not do it. Do you know how long the NHL postseason was? <laughs> the entire MLB regular season was played in the time from when the Blues got to Edmonton for that bubble to the time when we are yesterday handing out the Stanley Cup trophy to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Think about the Cardinals and the Marlins when their discussions were how crazy they were going in their hotels. Mm-hmm. It was now, two weeks. The, now, it's a little bit of a different level because the NHL guys did have some capabilities to go out. We learned along the way that they did have a little more stuff in Toronto. But multiply that by the three months, like you said. The walls are closing in, yeah. man. And one of our texters, by the way, 65780, Air Comfort Service text line. This is great, I think. From the 618, there is no correlation between money and mental health. Hats off to the Amen. players. So, you know what? It's perfectly sad, and those guys deserve it. And to see the joy in their eyes last night, Mm -hmm. and the place is dead silent, basically. I know. You know, to me, it was like, it was a pretty amazing thing. I was watching it with Katie last night, and she said, this doesn't feel real. And I said, at this moment right now, I'm witnessing everybody in the stands banging on, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it, banging on the glass, cheering for the Blues. Boston fans that stuck around to do that. But the the part that I felt horrible for those players about was not having their family on the ice. Because I remember on the ice watching the Shen brothers run out there and and celebrate with Braden and Patty with his son Anthony and his wife Francesca Mm -hmm. on the ice and Alex's dad and brother. I remember that. And to not have that last night was really difficult, I'm sure, for those players. So I'm excited that they get to go home and celebrate with their family now. And Jeff Vinnick, the owner of the Lightning, he's already talked to a bunch of people that I know, and he's going to do it up right. And when they get back, and everybody who's been quarantined, going to make sure that there's not uh, someone who's infected. And they're yep. going to recreate that moment on their ice where they're going to do the whole thing and the family gets oh, to go on the awesome. ice, Stanley Cup pictures, cool. you know, all that stuff. That's awesome. I do feel, feel though, before we go to the, the break, that the NHL missed a huge moment, and so did Gary Bettman last night. 
How do you not have the audio queued up for booing him? <laughs> when I told Danny Mac earlier. How do you not? I didn't hear that, by the way. Sorry. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, second time I was still arguing with a photographer. Anyways. Hours. I was arguing with a photographer. Still arguing with a photographer. But um, <laughs> no, they could have easily queued up just for fun. Gary Batman. I know he wanted to make it a very serious moment because I'm sure that guy lost a lot of sleep in putting all this together. But it kind of would have been funny just to have, like, as soon as he stepped on the ice, just a quick boo, and then cut it short, and Gary go. He would have loved it. Like, there you go. You got your boos. Well, that's what, remember, Roger Goodell did that at the NFL draft briefly. And a white t-shirt in his basement. Except that was his wife. (laughs) With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. Last night, we saw what could be the potential start of, or continuation of a rivalry between Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. How difficult is it to go up against quarterbacks like that? Derek Johnson's a former NFL linebacker for the the Chiefs. He's going to join us to talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by former Chiefs linebacker Derek Johnson here on the show. Derek, how you doing today, my friend? I'm I'm doing great after this after this Chiefs win yesterday. <laughs> it was incredible. So you played for Andy Reid in Kansas City. What did you make of his script? What did you make of his play designs that we saw last night? Uh, just just genius. Uh, when you talk about uh, um, just play calling and just his ability to create uh, um, um, for his players to to be in space and to just to, to to make the defense just scratch their head like man. Okay, as soon as we you know do a great job on defense, he's he's hit he hit us with a a, a fullback shovel pass that we haven't seen or, or just you know uh, um, Tyreek Hill faking the jet motion over here, faking the screen to the to the running back and then throwing the um, tight end screen to Kelsey. I mean, just, you know, just have the, uh, he, he's always had the ability to have defenses sitting on the heels and uh, where it takes the ability out of them to be a, a physical defense with the, you, you know, about Ravens being a physical defense. And last night um, they, 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 they couldn't, they couldn't get off. <laughs> they couldn't get anywhere, especially with uh, Andy Reid and uh, Eric Bannemi's offense. Well, Derek, look, great call playing is one part of it, but you got to have the players who can actually execute it, right? And so Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, without the ability to have him at the head of that position at quarterback, sometimes those plays don't work. Now, you had an opportunity at the end of your career to have a young Patrick Mahomes as part of the team. I'm interested in finding out from the time that you saw him then to where he is now, which is probably you know number one quarterback in the NFL, what did you see along the way and how much has he evolved? Well, I was uh, my last year in Kansas City in 2017. Um, he he came aboard. I tell you what, everybody was raving about this kid. I've seen him a couple times because he's in Big 12. I watched the Big 12 through UT and whatnot. But uh, when he was at Tech, so I've I've seen him you know, make some miraculous throws, but you know, Texas tech, you know, they, you know, they throw for a lot of yards. If you're a quarterback coming out of Texas tech, but I tell you what, um, uh, Andy Reed and uh, beach has, uh, they did their homework on this kid because when he first got to, uh, to the chiefs, um, I mean, he was our scout team quarterback. So we're in practice and this guy is throwing no look passes. I mean, he's, he's, and I thought he was playing at the time. I'm like, man, this guy is, is this, 
his, you know, this is this his style? <laughs> I tell you what, this is really his style, and he was messing up our defense <laughs> back then when I, you know, two or three years ago when it, when he was playing scout team player. But I tell you what, man, um, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. It's one thing to have great play calling, but you you have a dynamic player in Pat Mahomes, which you know he doesn't really get sacked. I mean, he doesn't throw interceptions. I mean, this guy. I'm trying to you know trying to figure out what's his weak point really and DJ it's one thing to have all of the skills and he has those certainly but he also has the mentality I mean we saw last year whenever the Chiefs went up against the Bears he counted on his fingers up to number 10 which is where he was selected of course with Mitch Trubisky going in front of him in that draft that's why he did it against Chicago and then last night you see him counting to four on his fingers because he was number four in the NFL top 100 did you get any glimpse of that mentality that he had whenever he was there that rookie year uh, you know what? It's subtle. It's subtle. You know, um, um, he's a very confident quarterback. And uh, it's one thing about Patrick. He is very uh, humble player. Uh, he's, he's quiet. Uh, he'll talk to you. He's not, he's not like not weirdly quiet, but he, he's a guy that uh, when you get, when he gets on the field and the type of aggressive throws he throws he throws and when he gets in the zone i'm telling you this guy you you would think he's Deion sanders out there like he he has that kind of mentality of course he's a little different when he gets off the field but yeah i I think i think that swag is much needed from him it's not crazy loud but it's just a little reminder hey you know uh this is why i do what i do and uh i believe in my talent and and the chiefs got it right now, Derek, being a defensive player like you were in your career, you're going up against, you know, last night we have Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, two of the premier quarterbacks in the NFL that possess so many great skills. From a defensive mindset, one, the Ravens didn't do a great job against the Chiefs or the Chiefs had a great system ready for the game. But going into that game as a player defensively, what is your number one goal in disrupting that other QB? Oh man! Um, making sure you play tight coverage in the back end, um, uh, and, but at the same time, making sure you affect the quarterback. You have to affect the quarterback. You affect the quarterback by hitting him, putting him on the ground, uh, getting hands in his face, tip balls. Um, uh, uh, obviously, trying to get these two quarterbacks that played last night, or they don't throw a lot of interceptions, but. You know, getting those turnovers that that you need to steal some possessions, and I tell you what, man, going against uh, uh, just period, going against Lamar, that's that's a that's a job in itself because you know it's hard to keep him in a box. He's so dynamic with his legs; it's just so hard to keep him in a box. And the, and the Chiefs did a great job, really, after the first drive. First drive didn't look too good for the Chiefs defense, but after that. They really corralled uh, Lamar, and 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 I, honestly, I think coaching was a big part of it because they they didn't really have an answer um, for the Chiefs' defense, and they kind of they kind of they kind of jumped jumped on uh, Lamar a little bit. Uh, and I mean, they they did a great job. I, I didn't know that they were going to do that good of a job. But I tell you what, man, uh, um, the Ravens have to go back to the drawing boards because I mean, with Pat Mahomes, they were trying to do a lot of man to man stuff. I mean, it's one thing to do that for a couple downs, but you can't live on that. And and they did it one too many times. And with so many crossing routes and so many misdirection stuff, I mean, goodness gracious, I wouldn't want to be out there playing man to man against those guys. <laughs> We're talking to Derek. John- Johnson, former Chiefs linebacker here on 101 ESPN. Derek, last night I was watching after the game on some of the post.
post-game coverage on ESPN, and I thought Ryan Clark had an incredible breakdown of the Tyreek Hill touchdown where they basically played with the tendencies from Marcus Peters where they knew he was going to break on the underneath route at the sticks, and they end up throwing deep to Tyreek Hill. How difficult is it whenever you're a corner going up against this Chiefs offense, how difficult is it to be able to defend all of the weapons that they have on this offense this year? Yeah, it, it, it's hard. It's hard, and and and, and as as we all know, Marcus Peters can make a, a, a bunch of plays in the back end, and at times he he takes gambles. And being a cornerback, a defensive back, you have to do that at times. And those are educated guesses; they're not, you know, just blind guesses. And um, but they 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 went against him. They used his you know strength for weakness last night, especially jumping different routes and and all it at the end of the day, it's about coaching and scheming up certain players. And I tell you what, um, the chiefs do a great job at just, just, just using your strength and then making it your weakness. And, and I mean, even um, um, Hartman, number 17, you know, the young second year receiver, he, he got him a deep ball, which, you know, Marcus Peters was, you know, probably part of that, that, that equation when it comes to jumping different routes and just, you know, he, he, they, those, those kind of cornerbacks, uh, Andy Reid loves loves going against those kind of cornerbacks because <laughs> they 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 see too much sometimes, and uh, when you see too much, you, you you don't see very much. Last question that I've got for you, Derek. You look around the AFC right now. The Ravens, for my money, I thought they were the top contender to be able to take down the Chiefs, and we saw last night. There's a little bit more of a gap maybe there than I anticipated. In your opinion, is there another team in the AFC right now that, if the Chiefs are playing their best game, can keep up with this Chiefs team? That, that's that's you're, right now. I think they're, they're they're ahead of everybody. But this is the NFL. Uh, this is the NFL. So um, with saying that, that's that's saying that every week you got to be consistently good, and you can get knocked off at any point. I mean, last week the Chargers, you know, uh, I mean, could have you know probably you know edged out and won the game if they made a couple throws and made a couple plays at the end of the game. But I tell you what, um, right now I don't I, I don't see a team that can handle. Uh, what the Chiefs uh, presents, um, the Bills, you know, may be that team that's kind of rearing their head up a little bit. But uh, the Ravens will be back. You don't, I don't want to put them, you know, in the grave already. It's early in the season, but uh, right now, definitely the Chiefs on the AFC side, and I'm thinking Seattle on, on you know, on the on the NFC side. But you know. Put, still early i lied dj i've got one more question for you <laughs> chiefs you were you were with andy reed from 2013 to 2017 you played under him for five years do you have a good andy reed story that you can share with us something we hear so much about the guy but most of it is his wiz- wizardry on the field and what he's able to come up with scheme wise do you have a story about what he's like in that locker room with the guys that you love telling Oh man, I tell you what, um Andy's a soft-spoken um coach. He he's a, he's a um a player's coach and everybody loves um uh, everybody loves Andy Reid. I mean, I mean people that are not Chiefs fans or not even Eagles fans, they they love Andy Reid. It's just something about him, you know, he's a proven coach in this league, but he he just always harps on the little things and and I've always been amazed by uh, what he can, why he harps on the little things because he, he's very detailed in everything he does and precise and, and on on the field and off the field and and it shows 
every game and every day that he lives his life. So, I mean, I don't really have any crazy stories, but I tell you what, uh, whenever I'm in practice on defensive side, he knows I'm watching him on scout, you know, when they're out there on the scout team, uh, when, um, when, when the offense is out there, I'm always watching just to see, just because uh, I'm amazed by the different plays that he calls. And he, you know, he, he'll let me uh, in on a, on a couple of secrets here and there, you know, he won't do it now, but <laughs> when I was playing for him, he was, <laughs> He's Derek Johnson, former Chiefs linebacker. You should give him a follow on Twitter at SuperDJ56, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Derek, we always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Enjoy the rest of the season. Hey, thank you. You got it. That's Derek Johnson joining us here on 101 ESPN. I slipped. I slipped. I said DJ a couple of times. I said DJ a couple of times. I slipped. I apologize to, to you, to the listener. I will do but better. You didn't apologize to DJ. I, I will be better. I promise. Moving forward, I will make sure <laughs> that I am better at this. I will not go into that issue once again. Yeah, you will. Okay, probably will. Yeah, you will. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. People are picking the Padres because of one thing. One thing. I'll tell you what that is coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. People are picking the Padres for one very reason, one very simple reason. They've Those are from stars. San Diego. They've oh. got the stars, boys. What did you say? I thought they was become there because they were from San Diego. Okay, your comment and his together sounded like because they have SARS. Nope. And very I was different. Like, what? Very different. COVID is the new pandemic that's going around. This isn't that's the, why uh, I was confused. In the 1800s, Chris. SARS uh, hang on, and MERS very different. Here. Star power. MLB.com ranks the top 50 players in the current Major League Baseball postseason. I think it is instructive of where the Cardinals are and where the Padres are at this point in their respective building projects. The Padres had four players in the top 54, including two players in the top 10. They had Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. Both in the top 10 among all players that are going to be participating in this year's major league baseball postseason. The Cardinals had one player in the top 50. It was Paul Goldschmidt. He came in at number 43 overall. A reminder, the Padres have four Two in the top 10. The Cardinals have one in the entire top 50. He's at number 43 overall. For what it's worth, Marcelo Zuna did come in at number 14 on this list. Luke Voigt came in at number 20 on this list. Just going to throw that out there as red meat for the audience. Yeah, That stings. You didn't have to do that. Yeah. So that's where we are. And this is why the Padres are getting the majority of the support. We opened up with this today, Jamie. If you're looking at any sort of national analyst, they're all taking the Padres right now. 27 of the 30 ESPN writers are picking San Diego. 10 of the 12 MLB.com writers picking the Padres. Eight of eight CBS sports writers picking the Padres. It's everybody. It's nearly unanimous. Everybody that is an expert on baseball nationally is taking the Padres in this series. And why? It's because of the stars. The Cardinals don't have them. The Padres have a bunch of them. And that's really the difference for most people as they look at the series. You know what? I like it. I like it. For the the angle of the Cardinals, for Mike Schilt, and for the leadership group in his clubhouse, I like this. You know why? Nobody's respecting us. Nobody's giving us a chance. It's it's so much easier to play the underdog than it is the favorite. And right now, yeah, are we expecting anything from the bats? Not really. We're expecting Goldie to get up there, but will he actually get anything to hit in the postseason? Eh, it's going to be tough, right? Mm-hmm. So anything we get is a bonus, which hopefully what that does is it relaxes guys in the batter's box. 
shake it out a little bit, take a swing. You're not supposed to do well anyways, right? I know that sounds cold right now the way I'm describing it, but it is a mindset for players. I've been there where you're playing against a team that is far greater than you, and you're like, hey, you know what? We're on borrowed time here. We're going to go out. I'm going to play, play hard, try some things, and all of a sudden, halfway through, you're like, hey, hey. So you're saying there's a chance. The interesting perspective with this one, at least for me, is, you know, if this was a normal year where you're playing the playoffs in in, in front of fans, I wonder if that would switch going to the Cardinals because, look, there's not a lot of playoff experience on one side or the other, but you got a lot of youth on the San Diego Padres side that's not used to, to playing in the postseason with all of that buildup and how do they perform in that circumstance. But I wonder if this year, because it's a bubble, it's like what people thought the NHL was going but to be like. it's not a bubble right away, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's San a bubble. Diego. Yeah, you're in... Oh. It's it's not a bubble yet. It's it's like a modified bubble. They're playing these games in San Diego, See, that's and right. then they'll move too. down to Dallas, Houston, oh, and then see, I LA. It was the start San Diego to start things off. No, no they, not they, the, the first part. series is in the home team's ballpark, mm-hmm. and then they move to a bubble. Yeah, I, I just I wonder still if it, if it's viewed as kind of like the NHL was right, where you, where you go into it thinking that the youth is going to have the power. Maybe that's where the experts are looking because of that star power, but because of the youth of a Fernando Tatis Jr. and a Manny Machado. But then on the flip side of that, you do have a lot of experience when it comes to playing in the postseason. On the Cardinals side, you got a couple of guys that are new to it, like a Paul Goldschmidt really never has had that much postseason access in his career. But with Yachty and with and with Wayno and with some of these guys who have been there before on the Cardinals roster, I wonder if that helps them a little bit. How much do you bit. think that matters, well, Jamie? It does matter a lot. And I, you've heard me talk about you know having that experience. We always talk about Dylan Carlson and how even before he got called up, I was under I was on the side of bring him up, let him even just be around the clubhouse, let him see how it is. It is huge. I remember coming up and not playing the first. I don't even know what how old, nineteen years old. I wasn't even playing. But I learned so much through being around it and be watching the veteran guys. And so to Alex's point, and you know what, Alex, I, I would just push back a little bit on the Goldie thing. Goldie got to play all the way to the NLCS last year. You know, now it's not a memorable right. moment for everybody. However, he got to experience it along with a lot of young guys last year. Mm-hmm. Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill was around. I mean, go down the list. They almost have the same team overall. They've got a couple of new guys this year. But overall, to your point, BK, the playoff experience, the Cardinals, uh, it far outweighs what the Padres have currently. Yeah, it, it does. The, the Padres have some. I mean, if you look at what Manny Machado has, he's been in the playoffs in the I'm past. I'm talking man for man. If you go like to bottom of the lineup to the top of the lineup, even your taxi squad guys, your bullpen yep. guys, more guys have tasted playoff baseball on the Cardinals side as opposed to the Padres side. And, you know, the Cardinal history too of postseason and, and success i think that carries weight i think all of that carries weight but at the end of the day i mean you got to hit the ball and you got to pitch yeah and i think it would carry a little bit more weight if the moments felt the way that they typically do in the postseason like part of what makes postseason baseball so big is that the crowd is into every pitch every pitch feels like it's life or death for you similar to playoff hockey right and it it's just not going to feel that same way this year you have no crowd in san diego it's not going to have the same sort of buildup at the beginning of the game where you've got the crowd for the introduction everything it's it's just different this year and so i don't know how much maybe if typically it, it counts for a little bit in the postseason or maybe even a little bit more than i'm giving it credit for i think this year it's a little less that it matters and the the, the Padres do have you know some what, guys. I'll disagree to a certain point here. 
I think that you're right to to one point, but then after that, I look at Adam Wainwright, I look at Yadier Molina, and let's just digest what happened with the Tampa Bay Lightning last night, and they talk about their grind through all of this with no fans and the guys that they added as leaders to their team, as culture changers. You look at that, and yes, the Padres on paper, probably the better team overall, at least of the sexier. Definitely the better team. Definitely the sexier team mm-hmm. to, to watch. Alex, stay with me here. So, But what I'm saying is the leadership that you have in your clubhouse, including Mike Schilt as well, that can sometimes push you through these crazy moments, and especially with no fans and no environment. These younger guys for the Padres or some of those guys, they may not respond well to that. Maybe they feed off a crowd better or worse. I, I don't know. I think that having the guys who've been down that road before – I think that makes a big difference. You are uh, you do have to look at San Diego. I mean, they got Eric Hosmer, who has won a World Series with Kansas to. City. Yeah. You got Trevor Rosenthal, who has been there with the Cardinals in postseason run. Tommy, Tommy Pham. Pham. They have guys. Manny Machado. It's very short sample size, but it's kind of like Paul Goldschmidt. The short sample size is something to build off of. I'm just curious of what happens in the big situation for guys like Tatis Jr. because he seems like a guy for San Diego that when he goes, the team goes. I'm not worried about Fernando Tatis Jr. I'm a little bit. Because oh he dipped God. off a little bit towards the We're end. We're going to get BKO'd on this one. Uh, he dipped off no, towards I, the I'm end. I'm not saying for the Cardinals. Like I, Fernando Tatis Jr. is not worried about the big moment. He, no. He's not a guy that's going to come up there and melt like a like a flower, like a lily flower whenever you get into the big moment. That's that's not going to be something that happens for Fernando Tatis Jr. Like the the lack of playoff experience for him is not going to be what the issue is. Now, he his bat has cooled down lately, and so he might not hit in this series. But it's not because he's in a playoff series that he's not going to hit. I I just I refuse to believe that if the Cardinals win this series and I told you earlier, I'm picking the Cardinals to win it. I don't think it's going to be because of their playoff experience. I think it'll be because they have the best defense in baseball and arguably one of the best pitching staffs in baseball. And when you have that, especially in a three-game series, you give yourself a chance. That being said, yes, if you're going by the stars, if you're going by the star power in the way that you said it, Jamie, the sexier names, that's definitely over on the Padres side. And that's what we're seeing nationally with so many writers picking the Padres in this series. I am also going to be curious to see what Cardinals fans' reactions are. If Tommy Pham or Manny Machado or Fernando Tatis Jr. have a big series in this one, because Pham, of course, was the trade. Fernando Tatis Jr., as we found out earlier this year, they tried out like 17 times and never decided that they were interested in signing him. And then Manny Machado was, you know how Nolan Arenado is the name now? Yeah. That guy used to be Manny Machado here in St. Louis. It was all about how do we get him here? They had the opportunity to do so in free agency. They opted against it. And so those three names in particular, if they have a big series against the Cardinals, I will be interested to see what the reaction is here in St. Louis. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Junk Drawer is coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch coming up in 10 minutes. Well, Brian Kenny of MLB Network at 1.30. Plenty of Cardinals baseball talk coming up, but let's get into the junk drawer. Jamie, what do you have going for us today? Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about the UFC fight that happened over the weekend. Was Paulo Costa was uh, attempting to dethrone Israel 
Adesanya, which is the style bender, which is a lot easier to <laughs> say that. So leading up to it, guys, and this is kind of funny. Guys say things. We've seen Conor McGregor pump up fights. Colby Covington has been great at it, too. Chael Sonnen has done a great job of, you know, doing the WWE style promo for these fights. Well, at one point, the style bender, uh, he told Paulo Costa that he was going to bend him over like he would in prison. Okay? What that means, I don't know. Can I get some clarification yeah. on that? Anyways, you can figure it out for yourselves. Yeah. So in, in the middle of his dominant performance in the second round, as he's knocking the crap out of Paulo Costa, he's on him on top, and he's got him from... Mounted. Behind mounted. And he steps back for a second and air humps right behind, obviously playing to the comment that he had made. I saw that. I didn't know that the comment had been made previously, but that makes a lot more sense suddenly. Unnecessary. So now our buddy Paulo Costa, who I wouldn't want to mess with anyways, now he's huge. He is mad. He is demanding a rematch. He says that Adesanya is human trash, and this has become a grave situation uh, he disapproves 100%. He goes, to me, this is mortal now. So basically saying he wants to fight to the death. So it's a slobber knocker. Kind of, sort of, yes. So my question to you guys and to the text line, 65780, is would you be upset if somebody did that to you? Yeah, If you were losing yeah. a fight? Or would you be more upset that he called it pre-fight, that he was going to bend you over and yeah. do that? Yes. <laughs> to answer the question, the answer is yes. I would be most upset, though, to what he did to my shins. I, we talked about a, a fight a few weeks ago where the guy was just stomping on the other guy's yeah, feet yeah, the, the whole foot. time. I hate that. Oh, I would retire on the spot if that happened. And then in this fight, he's just kicking the hell out of the, the side of his leg. As I kick the As trash can in here. You get carried away in here. <laughs> I, I have no interest in getting kicked. The, the, the kicks to the shin are why I, there's a million reasons why I could never do UFC. <laughs> that is number one on the top of the list. I could not handle the kicks to the shin. The elbow to the eye where it blew him open too oh. for about 12 stitches, maybe even more. That's problematic. But Alex, there like, would be blackout rage if somebody did that. And I mean, it would be to the point where you don't even know what you did at the moment, because I would be disappointed in myself that he said he was going to do it. And I allowed it to happen shot, right? Like you should have defended that a little bit better. But look, it's UFC. You're going to find yourself in that position at some point. There would be blackout rage from the moment that happened. So to put a bow on this, uh, Dana White. Now he's pressuring Costa is pressuring Dana White to give him the rematch right away with all this anger fueled. Now, Dana White has a decision to make. There's other guys that are in line for the title now, uh, and that wasn't a great performance by Paulo Costa. But now there's a bit of a storyline. So if you're Dana White, do you go back to this as a rematch, or do you look at this a fight or more down the road again? Is there another clear contender? Like, I don't know enough about this. The division division. is loaded with guys, and this guy here has been calling out John Jones. I mean, it feels like everybody's calling out John Jones lately. Is he even um, fighting? Anymore? Which I don't understand that. I don't it's understand like a, that. It's like an ultimate loss when you call him out. But you know what it is? Payday. Yeah. Well, 
Well, but I is think he it's, fighting still? He, he's, he's moving he's up so to heavyweight. Issues. He wants to take on uh, Stipe Miocic because mm-hmm. he's clearly a better fighter than Stipe is, but Stipe's a big guy. Yeah. So The story, the money's there, though. you got to take advantage. you got to strike where the iron's hot. This is a storyline. People are wanting to see what happens from this. I think you go one more fight to get the money, you get the payout, and then you move forward. All right. Yeah, if there's a fight that would make sense from a storyline perspective, you do that first, and then you go back to Costa. Uh, I wanted to give a story that our buddy Mike Ryder, or boss Mike Ryder, what? sent our way. Wait, I wanted, that guy's our boss? For better or worse. He <laughs> he sent this my way, and I want to make sure that I put that disclaimer out there because there's bad ending oh. in this story. Why you got to do what that? What kind of don't, stories are you looking at, Mike Ryder? I'm 100% patting this, making sure that I have a little bit of a Blame cover. it on me. Everybody else does. No, it was Mike Ryder. All right. so, Blame you, Rips. A oh, woman, you, Alex. woman has tragically passed away out in California. Like how you preface it with that. You don't spoil the ending. Yeah, well, that's the ending. She tragically died. It really um, is. Well, how did she die? The story of how it happened, though, I'm glad you asked, Ferrario. Thanks. That's curious. really what I wanted to get here. Have you guys ever fallen asleep on a beach before? Jamie, I feel like this is something that you might have some <laughs> Probably experience alcohol with. involved with that. There's been two scenarios for sure. One was uh, somebody overserved me, and that's their fault, not mine. Amen. Uh, and the other one was probably just hanging out. I, sleeping on the beach, I feel like a rite of passage, especially like as the day goes on. Got to do it once. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, I've been asleep on the beach. Okay, well, uh, that's what happened to this woman. She's in her 40s or 50s. Jamie, it could have been you once again. Um, <laughs> Whoa. And around 10 a.m. She was still sleeping out on the beach. This happened in Oceanside out in California. <sighs> Unfortunately for her, God, it's so tragic. Um, there was a caterpillar tractor. What? Whoa. Wait, wait. A caterpillar tractor? Yeah, not a caterpillar. Not a caterpillar, just a caterpillar tractor. Correct. Okay, I want to make tractor. sure that, yeah. Because if she died from a caterpillar. That's a big caterpillar. We got problems. Large. Yeah. Um, so the tractor. 2020. Was true. I don't know what he was doing. We don't know if it was... He was raking the beach probably for garbage. Possibly. And he found some. <laughs> found it. Oh, in God. The way, in the way of this 40 to 50-year-old woman who was God. sleeping on the beach at 10 a.m. And unfortunately, the tractor felt the bump. <laughs> the guy gets out and finds the body. She was pronounced dead at the scene. Mike Ryder, you're a monster. Okay, so you're how a does mon- this ha- you not see the woman? It's 10 a.m. Yeah, this is where I have a lot of questions. One is the sun could have been in his eyes. He didn't have proper blackout underneath his eyes, so I'm willing to give him that. Um, but okay, it's 10 a.m. Now, I wish we had details. Was she kind of sort of buried in the sand? We don't have any details as to how the incident took place, but... Apparently, there were some surfers that were concerned about this woman, but they do say that no alcohol or drugs were involved, which is obviously on her or the driver says no alcohol or drugs were involved. Who cares about the details of what's wrong with her? Why the hell is there a bobcat on the freaking beach? Well, they do. They rake it because of all the trash on the popular things. They kind of pull a fencing behind it and it grabs all the paper stuff. I'm telling you. They groom the beaches down there at times. Now, I'm not saying when this is the case. When people are on it? Well, they're not supposed to be, okay? <laughs> There's 
alcohol involved. There could be alcohol. Or maybe is this woman related to this guy in any way? Oh, or have they had any family feuds between them? Maybe jealous ex. Ex-husband. Maybe quarantine got a little ugly. An affair. Maybe I don't she, know. Maybe he Earl, or maybe she Earl Thomas Tim. Ooh. Joe Exotic. Did you see the update on, on our guy Earl? Yeah. Earl is going to die. His career is going to die. Legion well, he, of Boom is going down to Houston. <laughs> well, there's a new update. <laughs> this brother morning. going with him. <laughs> it's a package He deal. might have in the his package. Mid Maybe package. that's why Bill O'Brien <laughs> called it off. What? What? Called off the dog. Said, nope, Earl Thomas, your your no. visit has been canceled. We're out. That's nope. because he requested a meeting with Bill O'Brien and his brother at the yeah, same no, time. No Bill's purple. Like, I've seen this story no before. No purple light district in Houston. <laughs> Not for the Legion of Boom. Derek Gould's the Cardinals beat rider for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He's going to join us coming up next to talk about why the Cardinals decided to go with this particular rotation in this order for the wild card round. And what does he think about the fact that so many nationally are picking the Padres in this series. Was Derek Gould when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. We are going to be joined by Derek Gould. He's the Cardinals beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He is out in San Diego where he's going to be taking in this Padres versus Cardinals series firsthand. Derek, always appreciate the time, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you, gentlemen? Doing very well. So let's start with what was the news of the day yesterday. Early in the day, uh, we got the news that it was going to be KK and then Jack Flaherty and then Adam Wainwright as the Cardinals three starters for the series. And then later, by the end of the day, you reported, as others did when you talked to the Cardinals, that it is actually going to be KK, then Adam Wainwright, then Jack Flaherty as the starters in the series. Uh, From what you understand, what went into that decision and the change from the middle of the day to where we were at the end of the day yesterday? We haven't had a chance to sort of get a clarification on that, except for it just might have been someone misspeaking. I know that the first one came from a live appearance, I believe Mike Schilt did on MLB Network, and he just might have, you know, recited it wrong. That's not unusual. Um, But we'll get more clarification on that today. I do know that, you know, the decision to go with Kim was made over the previous 24 hours for the game one. Part of that had to do with the opponent that they are going to face. Um, you know, the Cardinals had Jack Flaherty set up to go game one. He would have been on full rest. Um, the plan, from my understanding, leading into this postseason was always to have Wainwright there for game two. Um, his schedule has really kept on that same beat and um, have all, has always been kind of triangulated towards that game two. One of the things that they could work with was they knew when the series was going to start. You know, that that was something that was like kind of a known for every team because of this odd bracket format, or I guess I shouldn't say odd, this new bracket mm. format. <laughs> they, they knew they knew when the games were going to come. It wasn't like, well, if you play San Diego, it's going to be here. You, you play LA, it's going to be here. You have a one game playoff, it's going to be there. Um, and they kind of dismissed the Detroit doubleheader as that they would deal with that when they got to it. But they had Wainwright targeted um, really for a while for that game two. They had Flaherty decided for game one. But when it's the Padres and you have to choose between a Jack Flaherty who has been inconsistent, um, has been searching for it a little bit, had that last chance there against the Brewers to really go out and dominate and pitch the game that they needed that night that would have gotten them into the postseason. And he did not. 
um, versus a guy like Kim who's pitched really well but also has deception on his side and newness on his side and being a lefty on his side. And if you're looking for an edge against the Padres in game one, which can be so pivotal in a three-game series, really, um, you want to find that edge where you can. And while the Padres hit well against lefties, you know, as far as league average, there's a there's a downturn between righty and lefty, and there's definitely a downturn between a righty that they know and they've seen before who is also sort of searching for it and a lefty who has pitched well, who they haven't seen before, who is funky as all get out and can make guys uncomfortable. Now, Derek, look, we talk about the Padres and their batting and all that. I, I got to ask you here because I'm looking nationally and, like, nobody's having a lot of love for the St. Louis Cardinals in this right. series. I mean, almost everybody that you pull up on Twitter or whatever search engine you're using is picking the Padres in this series. And, I, I mean, I, I kind of get it. But overall, Derek, if the Cardinals are going to win this series, what are they going to have to do to prove all these people wrong? Well, find some way to score a few runs um, because their pitching should be good enough to hold off the Padres. Um, You know, Padres have a pitcher-friendly ballpark, and that's actually one of the reasons why they've been so impressive is they've been able to thunder away and be very good offensively despite playing half of their games here at Petco Park. And they have this really strong pitching group, too, to go with it that takes advantage of it. Now, they have fair questions as far as the health of their pitching staff. That's a reality coming in. You know, two of their best starters are coming off um, shortened appearances or injury concerns or both. Uh, you know, you got Clevenger who got a cortisone shot and you got Lamette who has bicep issues. So um, for the Cardinals, they, they have, they, they can at least maybe try to claim the pitching edge a little bit. And you can see them doing that by arranging their rotation, like we just talked about. And, they just then have to find a way to score runs. It, it is entirely possible that, you know, the Cardinals lose this series because they don't score more runs than they have games. Um, you just don't know with the Cardinals offense and, you know, the pitching could be superb and it could get two runs of support. So for them to, to win, they, they got to provide the, the pitching that they, they expect to get, that they are likely to get, and even a pitching edge that they might have with some semblance of an offense. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be a, a thunder punch. It doesn't have to be, you know, slam Diego. It just has to be enough. We're talking with Derek Gould, Cardinals beat writer here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch or stltoday.com. Also, give him a follow on Twitter at dgould. Derek, I thought you had a great piece over the weekend about the Cardinals cleanup hitter woes and how they're trying to solve that. And they're basically going with matchups to be able Mm -hmm. to figure out what they're going to do in their cleanup spot moving forward. Dylan Carlson got his opportunity in that spot over the weekend. Do you think we could see more of that in this series against the Padres for Carlson? Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, one of the reasons why you, you saw Dylan Carlson in that game against the Brewers hints at one of the reasons why you'll see him again, you know, in that spot here during the playoffs. And that's because of bullpenning. So Craig council is very gifted as a manager when it comes to, okay, I have 12 pitchers. I don't have to use them in the traditional order in which we always have. I can find different ways to do that. And he's really sold that team on the notion of not your role, but your outs, get your outs. And while roles manifest because of that, you know, they surface and, you know, guys create kind of their roles with their performance. And eventually there's a traditional closure and all that stuff in a game like that. In a game like Sunday, 
um, you know, with the rested bullpen that he had because of what Woodruff did the day before, um, he was he could be ultra aggressive with his pitching, and the Cardinals knew that. The Cardinals expected that. I mean, the world expected that. That's what Craig Council does. So what they did was they put a switch hitter at cleanup in Dylan Carlson because that can throw off the matchups, right? Like, it's very difficult if, if the Cardinals, because of the number of switch hitters they have, they can go Tommy Edmond two, they can do Dylan Carlson four, and they can do Dexter Fowler six. And that assures that no, no, nowhere in that top group there is that pitcher going to come in and face the handedness that he's assigned to face, if that makes sense, right, because of the three batter minimum. So that that's a big element here, especially as you consider, you know, the bullpenning that we're likely to see. Now, don't know what Jace Tingler is going to be like um, in the in the postseason. I, candidly, I don't know that because I haven't seen him in it and really haven't seen a whole lot of the Padres except for on TV, um, has been able to get good starting pitching from Lamette Davies, um, you know, and then Clevenger when he came aboard from Cleveland. So where is the bullpen? Now the Padres bullpen has been better lately. Um, a lot of their success pitching wise is based on the starting time. So maybe they won't be as aggressive, but it's the postseason, and we're going to find out how Tingler approaches that. And the Cardinals can counter by having these switch hitters to give him something else to think about. All right, Derek, I got uh, a couple of questions regarding some of the lineup as we head into game one for the Cardinals. Tomorrow is, who, in your opinion, of course, who do you think we see at third base and who do you think we see at DH to start this series? Great questions. Um, it sure seems like you have Tommy Edmond at third base uh, because you'll want Harrison Bader out there in center field at this place and Dylan Carlson then in left and Dexter Fowler. And right, um, I think I think DH is a real interesting question. Um, you know, it, it, it probably bends towards Matt Carpenter at this point, um, but you know, it, some of it will depend too on what the Padres eventually do with their pitching and, and what the Cardinals expect from them. Um, you 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 have three candidates basically for that DH spot: Brad Miller. Matt Carpenter and Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill had a really good game there Sunday, um, had the key steal, worked his way back from an 0-2 count to take a walk and sort of fits into that hot hand aspect that Schilt has really been going with here recently. Um, but I, I think, you know, when you when you look at the left-right matchups, familiarity, what they could do with having Carpenter work counts in, toward the back end of the lineup, Another lefty for them to consider. You know, it just, I think it lines up for him to make that start at DH. Derek, this series is so fascinating to me uh, in so many different ways, but at least in part because this was a shortened, condensed season and the Cardinals mm -hmm. needed to learn so much about this roster, both for now and for the future. And now you're into the postseason where it's a three-game series and you want to take so much away from the playoffs, but it's a, it's a three-game series. How much do you think what we see in this series against the Padres could um, show us the direction that the Cardinals are going to have to go in the offseason? How much do you think we can learn about this team in this three-game set, in your opinion? I would suggest not much. And, I mean, 
not much that we don't already know, right? If they pitch well, okay, confirmation of the fact that they pitch well. If they don't pitch well, then confirmation that, hey, look, it's a short series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he saw for two months how what their pitching depth is. And we already know going into 2021 how that pitching depth is kind of compromised already because Hudson will be out. Um, Michaelis will be coming back from injury. Don't know what Adam Wainwright will be. He's a free agent. So, you know, this next three games aren't going to change the look of that pitching. And if they don't score, then it's confirmation of the fact that, okay, well, yeah, they couldn't score. They haven't been able to score for the past two seasons. And they uh, had that exposed by the the, uh, Washington Nationals, who had one of the best pitching staffs, just blaze a path through the postseason all the way to the championship. And, you know, historically silenced the Cardinals in the process. So was the offense as bad as it was in last year's NLCS all along? No, but that was just an acute example of the search that they needed for their offense. And we got confirmation and, you know, valid whatever you want to do and more evidence this season that the route they went did not produce the results that they wanted. So here they are again, three games is going to change that. If they go out and hang 10 on the Padres, um, you know, in one game, what's the difference between that and what they did in the first inning against the Braves last year in the NLDS, right? Was that the offense they are? No, that's the offense they were that day. That's not the offense that they are, and that's not what they should go into the offseason thinking that they have. So I think, you know, this postseason, you know, this season has not given the Cardinals the look that they wanted, the long look that they wanted at guys, um, but it has given them enough of a look that they know Dylan Carlson is a part of their team every day next year, that they know that some of the outfielders that they wanted to give a chance to this season got that chance briefly and probably won't be with the team next year or will be in part of a part-time role. Um, I mean, individually, guys like Harrison Bader could go off and, have a great October and change the Cardinals mind or at least influence their mind for what his role is in 2021. That's like an individual who has a month here to really stake a case and could change that perception of him or change the plans for him. But as a group, like you were saying, I I don't think that you can draw much from it because the Cardinals did that once. And they actually did that once in relation to San Diego They did that in 2006 when an 83-win team came here to San Diego, played well, got their bounce, found their pep, and went off into, you know, the the World Series and won the championship. And they kept the band together. They said that's the. They said the October team is the team that 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 they were, not the 83-win team. And they brought all those guys back for 2007 for an encore. And by October, they had a losing record and a new general manager. And that's the last time they had a losing record. So I would suggest that they learn from that experience and not do the same thing again. Well, Derek, we're looking forward to all of your coverage in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. We'll be following you on Twitter as well, at Gould throughout this series. Always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll talk with you again soon. Enjoy yourself out in San Diego. Stay safe, man. All right. Thank you very much, guys. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Have a great day. Enjoy all the baseball tomorrow. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Derek Gould joining us here on 101 ESPN. I looked this up while he, while we were talking with him, Jamie. He, he mentioned the splits that some of the Padres have. As a whole, most of them lefty-righty. Not a big difference between what they do against lefties and what they do against righties. There are two players in particular, though, that do have significant splits both this year and for their careers. Eric Hosmer is one of them. In his career, he's 20% below league average 
average against lefties. So Ooh. he's actually not a great hitter against lefties. He is a lefty himself. So that makes a lot of sense. This year, he's 40% below league average against lefties. Against the righties, very different story. For his career, 20% above league average against righties. This year, crushing them. 60% above <sighs> league average against the righties. It's Similar story, although a little bit different for Tatis. He's a he's a good hitter against everybody. 13% above league average this year against lefties. 60% above league average against righties. So those are the two guys that it could make a real difference for. It's Fernando Tatis Jr. and Eric Cosmer. That's why they're sending out the lefty in KK to get things started in this series. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a game of Bet It or Forget It coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a quick game of Bet It or Forget It before Brian Kenny of MLB Network joins us coming up here in just about 10 minutes. Bet It or Forget It, boys. Because of the lefty-righty splits that we just talked about, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Eric Hosmer in particular, both are not as good of hitters against lefties as they are against righties. Still good hitters, not as good against lefties. Better to forget it, we will see Andrew Miller used in a big spot in this series at some point that we are very uncomfortable with because of those splits. Better to forget it, Jamie. Oh, I'm betting it. I think, if anything, Mike Schilt has shown us in the last, what, week to 10 days that Andrew Miller is going to be the go-to guy, especially go-to lefty out of the bullpen. As the game goes on, we're going to see the, absolutely in a really important time. Heck, it could be closing out the game, and we're going to see Andrew Miller come in. So, yeah, I'm betting that. If I, I bet it, I'm all in on that for sure. Especially when you look at what he's done in the postseason in the past. Like Mike Schilt, regardless if he's struggling in the regular season, is going to put confidence in Andrew Miller. And when it comes to the lefties, you know, you got a couple of guys that we don't know what the roster looks like yet, but I think you're going to see an Andrew Miller in a big time situation because he is a big time veteran that has been there before. Andrew Miller, by the way, I mean, the, the actual numbers are pretty good this year a 2 7 ERA, a whip below 1.1 on the season. His. His results have been good. Now, I still get nervous watching them sometimes, but the results themselves look pretty good for him. I'm betting it. I think we're going to see Andrew Miller in a big spot where I say whenever he comes in, oh, we're going Andrew Miller here? Mm -hmm. You couldn't have gone Alex Reyes. We want to go full BK and go from sitting in the back of the chair to sitting on the, the just the front of the chair. Just don't BKO him. <laughs> BK... Better to forget it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Dylan Carlson is going to be the Cardinals cleanup hitter for this series, Jamie Rivers. Bet it or forget it. I bet it for sure, especially after listening to Derek Gould, who gave us, by the way, guys, gave us great stuff, and mm. specifically the Dylan Carlson information where why would you not have a switch hitter at that spot? I mean, it really does kind of mess with the other team if they're planning to have situational pitching against certain guys. Throw the switch hitter in there at cleanup. So, yeah, I'm going to bet that for sure. Who else are you going to put there right now? I want to bet it, but part of me thinks you got to forget it because they're going to do all kinds of different things. I don't know if you're going to see a crisp lineup every single game with these. I think you're going to see some flipping around. And when you think of the amount of switch hitters that you have, I agree with the splits and what Derek said, but I also know Mike Schilt, and he's going to get guys into cleanup positions that 
he's hoping can perform there. Yeah, so I'm going to forget the, it. The cleanup position has been a mess over the last little while. And why would you not just stick with Dylan Carlson? The way he's been cracking the ball out there, yeah. if I, he gets I, like, hey, if he gets even more into a rhythm. I think they should bet it, but I'm going to forget it. It's about upside in this game, right? When you're overmatched in a series in one particular aspect of the game, and that is what the Cardinals are going into the series as offense for offense, right? They're overmatched compared to the Padres. The, the Padres are a better offense when you line them up against each other. But Dylan Carlson gives you the highest upside as a cleanup hitter. It's not Matt Carpenter. It's not Brad Miller at this point. Millsy was awesome. He was a month of just scorching he hot. did his job. Cardinals devil magic to the highest degree, right? He's he's become a pumpkin. All right. So What'd you call him? What'd you call him? He's turned into the pumpkin. So what? What right now, the guy that you want to have as your cleanup hitter is Dylan like Carlson. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Boys, bet it or forget it. This one comes from the 636. Pat Maroon right now is on at least his 50th beer since last night. Bet it or forget it, Jamie Rivers. Forget it. He's approaching 100, gentlemen. He's approaching 100. Actually, he may have just blown a hamstring as he pressed through the 100th beer. There's no way. And if I'm him, are you kidding me? I'm ordering a wheelchair and just push me around because I, I will not be able to walk. So uh, I'm going to forget it, that Patty's on his 50th beer. I will bet that he's way past that. And I will also say that dang well deserves it. Forget it. He was on his 50th by the time he got off the ice on the <laughs> yeah. celebration. Did you see the video of him? <laughs> Somebody walked off and said, when are we drinking out of this, boys? And Patty goes, right blanket now. <laughs> He had 50 in his yeah. beard alone last night. He might night. have had 50 by the third period, to be honest with you. He was ready to go. Yeah, I mean, bet it, forget it, whatever. He's on a lot. He's 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 on number. I, they lost count after so many. After they got to 50, they and stopped good counting for at you, that point. Patty. Final one, bet it or forget it, boys. The series is one day away. Cardinals versus the Padres. We are going to preview it here in just a moment with Brian Kinney of MLB Network. Bet it or forget it. The Cardinals, who are currently plus 176 on the FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook app, which you should download right now. Use the promo code Brandon. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-N. So that way they know that we sent you. Plus 176, which means you bet $10 to win 1760. Bet it or forget it. The Cardinals will win this series, Jamie. I'm betting it. I called it at the start of the show. I, I called it on our, our bracket that you can catch at 101 ESPN on the website. See how all of us put our brackets together, including Brad Thompson, which is questionable. But we'll discuss that later with the fast lane. Yeah, I've got the cards picked for, for this one. I got the cards as well. I think it's a simple it's a simple look at the pitching matchups and who's got the better pitchers when it comes to rotation and depth. And I know the offense concerns people, and Derek made it a great point you hope you have to play against san diego yeah. but you got to bet it against san diego and the way the cards have been pitching i don't think you have to bet it but i will bet it i'm going to take the cardinals well, you um, have to bet it with those odds you'd bet it if it was the royals you I, would I, I just said i am i i think the cardinals you know we should just heard be, he shot me down too i think the cardinals should be the underdog in this series i think that's correct i don't think they're the overwhelming underdog that it you would be led to believe based on how many analysts are currently picking the Padres. I think it's closer than the picks would suggest. Like, you know how on a pregame show, they put up the graphic, right, where uh, they've got 17 different people that are making their picks for that game that's about to come up, and all of them end up on one team. You always look at that, you're like, they're going to lose, aren't they? That's how I feel about this Padres series. Everybody's picking, and it's all coming up Padres. 
And I think the Cardinals are closer than that. I want to ask that of Brian Kenny. He's an MLB Network host and analyst, and he's going to join us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Brian Kenny, MLB Network host and analyst, where MLB Network is exclusively televising two NLDS games next week. You can watch Brian Kenny across MLB Network's programming throughout October, which does include MLB tonight before and after each and every game. Brian Kenny joining us now on 101 ESPN. Brian, how you doing today, man? Good. Good to be with you. Absolutely. Good to have you. Excited to have you as we're getting ready for this postseason and starting to watch some already. Let's start with this Cardinals versus Padres series that we've been talking so much about today, Brian. I've been surprised by how almost unanimous the selections have been for San Diego in this series. I understand they are absolutely the better offense, but they do have some questions with the arms in their rotation. When you're looking at this kind of from the 10,000 foot view, how do you view this Padres versus Cardinals series? Well, yeah, I think it's uh, I think most every series is is very close with the exception of of the Dodgers and the Brewers. That's because the Dodgers are the one team that's been clear cut better. Rays have been outstanding as well, but but they need to get into the weeds to beat you. You know, Dodgers can just beat you in every aspect of the game. So I think it's it's very close. And I think, you know, we do have a tendency to uh, underrate the less sexy teams. And what the Cardinals do is field. You know, they really field well. They pitch well. And those things aren't as electrifying as Tatis and Machado. And, and the Padres are a new story, and they earned it. You know, look, they had the better, they have the better record, uh, that's for sure. They played very well this year. So they're kind of young and exciting, and it's easier to go in that direction. Now, Brian, the one thing I wanted to check on nationally anyways is, is it much of a surprise that Mike Schilt and the Cardinals decided to go with KK to start game one in this series? I think probably like within our walls, no, because, you know, we're charting it every day and you could see how good he was through the season. And, you know, look, uh, your your run prevention tells a lot of the story. So he's been a a big story and someone that especially this year, it's two months. So if you're hot in the last month or you're just, you know, I don't want to use the word hot. I mean, if you're peaking, you've got to ride that. We're talking with Brian Kenny here on 101 ESPN, MLB Network host and analyst joining us on the show. Uh, Brian, we've been so entertained by being able to watch what Dylan Carlson has done his second time around here in St. Louis since he's been called back up. He's been getting some opportunities now as their cleanup hitter of late. How much of a spark do you think a guy like that can provide for an offense that has been stagnant for the majority of the year here in St. Louis? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's hard to say. I'm, I'm surprised looking at even the overall production this year. Now, if there's belief, you know, from another area, um, you know, in, in what they believe that he will be or in what he's done with his minor league track record or if it's even more sophisticated with his process numbers. Uh, I mean, he's a, a successful minor leaguer, obviously a blue chipper. But, uh, yeah, that's a surprise. But, again, I think – Look, this is happening in the moment, especially this year, where you can't get caught up this year more than most years. Uh, I remember one time long ago I said to uh, you know, one of our analysts at MLB Network, hey, it doesn't make sense to bat this guy, you know, six. You should bat him second. You know, he's the best hitter on the team. And our analyst looked at me and said, not this week. 
And he was right. <laughs> you know, for some, some guys go into it. I don't want to say, you know, hot and cold, but there are guys who get into a certain rhythm, a certain groove. This has been a difficult season. And if there's a reason why they believe this plugs in, again, they, don't have, they only have two or three other guys who are really clearly outperforming him anyway. Um, so you might as well roll with that if there's something that makes you believe that he should be in that type of spot in the lineup. Kind of to that point where you were saying, you know, not this week, how much do you think we are going to change our impression, our expectations, how much should we change our expectations for this postseason in the wild card round because it is a three game series compared to the typical seven game series that we see because I've seen a lot of the picks and a lot of them seem to be chalk, which I would expect in a seven game series, Brian, but in, in these three game sets, it almost feels to me like the biggest surprise would be if there's not any surprises. How do you feel about the three game series and how that's going to change things? Yeah, no question. If if the Marlins, like if you were thinking, let's just say that you believe the Marlins are, are the the you know weakest team in terms of production in, in the whole uh, you know the whole tournament. Uh, if you put the Marlins into Los Angeles to play the Dodgers, and that's clearly the best team in terms of production, three game series over the weekend, it wouldn't stun anybody that the Marlins took two out of three at any point, even if the Dodgers were going full throttle. So I, I agree with you. I, nothing would surprise me in the three game series. This is why. I, you know, I, I love this uh, format for this year. I was thrilled when they made this decision basically the day before the season, saying, hey, let's do this. Let's, inc- let's include more teams this year. It's a two-month season. We just want to get some interest. We just want fans to be interested in what we're doing. Hopefully we can finish the season. I'm, I was thrilled with the, the, the idea that they were doing it. Moving forward, uh, I'm not as much of a fan of this. I, I really like teams to have earned it a little better. I think actually the wild card system that we had as of last year kind of hits that sweet spot. I, I believe Major League Baseball wants to kind of move forward and add a team or two. Um, I think I like that. But this chaos that we're about to see is great right now, great for this year. I think it's digging a little too deep into the trough going forward. Again, we're talking with Brian Kenny, MLB Network host and analyst. Brian, I wanted to dive into, we talked about Dylan Carlson, one of the young up-and-coming guys. I want to talk about some of the old goats we have here around uh, Cardinal Nation and Adam Wainwright and the gutsy season that he has had for the St. Louis Cardinals. Is this catching anybody by surprise nationally or how impressed are people that he's managed to come back after, what, 17 days off and, and pitch five innings and then go a complete game when the Cardinals need him to do that. He's had some pretty gutsy performances. Yeah, I think it's uh, it surprised some people. And again, it's hard to track it this year. Uh, it's different. So I don't know how much traction he's getting. But even I was surprised when I was just, you know, looking over late in the season at how well he was pitching. You know, I'm watching him. Say, All right, he's capable of pitching a good game now and then, uh, you know, even a guy his age. But uh, looking at his numbers for the season, I'm still surprised he was able to do this. And I think that speaks to this being a season where players who can cope uh, will be rewarded. Players who are, you know, uh, who can cope with adversity, players who are good in their process, who don't need their hands held, who, you know, know they have to go through all these different, you know, things every day in order to play with the testing, with staying, you know, in uh, basic quarantine. Uh, you know, it's difficult to do that. I think the players who are mentally strong would have an advantage. And I think Wainwright's an example of that. Speaking of mentally strong and staying with this category, 
A guy named Yadier Molina got his 2000th hit this year as catcher. And I'm just wondering, in your opinion, what does that do for Yadier Molina when all said and done as far as his bid to become a Hall of Famer? Well, I think it's funny that Molina, and this is great. Look, I think most of, uh, I mean, baseball fans, not just Cardinal fans, but I think you know, Cardinal fans look at Yadier Molina the way New York fans looked at Don Mattingly, like knowing that, no, no, you need to watch this guy every day. I know you think he's this or he's that. Actually, you need to watch him every day. Mattingly was described as, uh, this is Buck Showalter telling me this years ago, he was the standard by which everyone should be measured. And when you watched him on the field, he did everything well. He did everything right. He did set the standard. Molina is that guy. Plus, he is also doing things that are difficult to quantify behind the plate as far as excelling. Um, That said, using the normal parameters, uh, he is not a Hall of Famer. Using the normal parameters of our measuring production, I'm not saying you can't go beyond that. I would hope that he could be an example for perhaps looking at other players like maybe Don Mattingly, Dale Murphy, other players that um, should also get the benefit of the doubt for non-statistical reasons. We're talking with Brian Kenny here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Brian, I know you are all in on the opener. You have um, opened your mind to some of the new modern ways that baseball is being played. I am curious here because uh, you look at the way that this postseason, the schedule is actually going to set up with day after day. There are no off days really in this. How do you think that changes the way that we should expect these games to be pitched and set up that way in this postseason in particular? Yeah, we did uh, an essay on that yesterday on MLB Now, and I believe you do have to change tactics. Uh, The last World Series to be played without off days was 1956. Um, You know, so in those days, it was amazing. I mean, even 1948, uh, which was uh, Cleveland and Boston, the Boston Braves, they played every day, took a train after the game, you know, (laughs) took a train to Boston, went, played that next day. Uh, You know, things were different in the old days. Uh, But that was was even Spawn and Sane and Pray for Rain, you know, Johnny Sane and Hall of Famer Warren Spawn. And they used six different starters in that series because you had to. I would say I've been a big advocate for the last decade of bullpenning, of using a full bullpen attack. And I've loved to see over the past few years tandem starts used by the Astros to win a championship. Remember, the Red Sox used the Rover to win a championship, getting their ace starters in the eighth inning in a high leverage three outs so they can get them out of there. You know, be inventive, be flexible, look for strategic advantages. That said, this year, I think you're going to have to eat it a little bit. You know, once you get into that division series, you're playing straight through. And if you play five, you've got one day off and you can play seven straight days in a league championship series. So normally, I think you should manage with your hair on fire, meaning never let a guy get lit up on the mound. Go If, he, if he's getting hit hard, if he gives up two, three rockets, go get him. Get him out of there. Next. I think now, even with the expanded roster, you're going to have to eat it a little bit knowing that, hey, we have to you know get innings tomorrow, the next day, and the day after that. So I think you need to change tactics and go more traditional and try to get guys to eat innings and use your A squad in the bullpen very carefully. So do you think this would put an added emphasis on starting pitching and then having a lot of guys that can be really good long relievers? Is, is that what this changes for teams? 
Yeah, it, it goes old school immediately. You know, where guys who can, you know, uh, you'll need a guy, like if it's like a Wainwright or another veteran pitcher that can go, you know, seven instead of five. You know, usually I would say, give me five innings, one run. I'd rather that than seven innings and three runs. Not this year. Give me seven innings. I need more outs. I need to preserve my, again, my A squad for the bullpen. So when I'm tied or leading, I go A squad and I go, like most teams, they have a guy for the, you know, seventh, eighth, and ninth or you know, maybe the sixth on you need to go a squad when you're winning and save those weapons because you can't go every single day. Even today you're loath to use a guy three straight days. Well, you're going to go five straight days. You might go seven straight days. So yeah, you have to go a little more old school and old school. You can still use an opener by the way, an opener buys you winnings. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. If that makes sense, but yeah, you can't go like And normally I'm totally against this, you know, mindset. I'm, you know, if a guy is getting, you know, ripped up, go get him. Don't stand there. If, you, if you're if you a manager, I've said this for a, the last 10 years at MLB Network, if you're a manager in the playoffs and you have uh, your starting pitcher given up a five spot, you've failed. You should never allow that to happen. You can't allow that to happen. It's a race to four wins or a race to three wins. Uh, in this case, a race to two wins. But you've got to you know, now, I think, absorb a little more knowing that this is you're playing almost every single day he's brian kenny check him out on mlb network where he is a host and an analyst mlb network is exclusively televising two nld games nlds games rather next week and you can watch brian kenny across mlb network's programming throughout the month of october which does include mlb tonight before and after each and every game brian we always appreciate the time man thanks so much for joining us today enjoy this postseason all right, you guys too. Thank you. Absolutely. That's Brian Kenny joining us here on 101 ESPN. I, What we just talked about there at the end with the starting pitching and long relievers becoming even more important in this postseason because they're playing every day, that is where I think the Cardinals have the biggest advantage over most of their opponents in this playoff field. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. And Brian had a lot of great stuff. I do disagree with his analysis on Yachty. See, I actually think you don't disagree with his analysis on Yachty. I think we're getting a lot of texts on the text line, 65780. And I understand the initial reaction of... Uh, and I get it. I get it. He did work his way around to say that he hopes that they can overlook some of the standard statistical stuff that they use. Yeah, what, what he is saying is if you go exclusively on the numbers... Yadier Molina is not a Hall of Famer based on previous trends across Hall of Famer for every position or catcher Hall of Famer. Like, what's the standard? All the above. If you go based on his metrics as a hitter and what we can quantify in baseball, he would not be a Hall of Famer. Even at 2,000 hits. Correct. Yeah. Wow. So it's it's not just about volume stats. It's also about his rate stats. And they are not up to some of the par for what most what it would take typically for a player to get into the Hall of Fame. He's correct, objectively. He's absolutely correct Is it just on the that. writers that do the Hall of Fame? Who, who does it? Yeah. See, that's where I disagree. It's where I disagree with it. And you know what? Let's carry this over into the crossover. Okay. So last thing here really quickly to, to kind of put a bow on this, and then we will absolutely uh, carry this over as well. He's saying he thinks that Yadier Molina should be a Hall of Famer, but the numbers case is not the case to make. The numbers case is not what you make for Yadier Molina. It's more than that. And we agree with that here in St. Louis because we say to everybody, well, you've got to understand there's more to it than just what he does at the plate, which is what Brian Kenny is saying there. He's saying that he is a Hall of Famer. It's just not for the rate stats. It's not for the numbers that you see on his baseball reference page, which I think everybody here in St. Louis actually agrees with. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. Jamie wants to talk about why he disagrees with the way that baseball does their Hall of Fame. We'll do that and cross things over coming up next. We're back.
back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. So we're all taking the Cardinals to win this first round series. Meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. meanwhile, what's up? We're in Fred here with uh, over here. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm with you guys. I took, I took him to win the first series too. And, what happened then? And what, then the second series against who? I think it was the Dodgers. Seven games? Yeah, well, no, it probably won't last that long. It's a five-game series. Three? Beat yeah, them in three? Three, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then they'll steamroll. It's going to be the Reds. The Reds are going <laughs> to probably do some things. And then I got them beating the Reds. And then, look, I'm staying on brand is what I'm doing here. Uh, I get the Homer moniker all the time, and I'm going to roll with it here. If you think I'm a Homer, I'm going to Homer all the way to the World Series uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals. It's 2020. Does it make sense on paper? No. No, of course not. But nothing makes sense right now. So, yeah, I took him in our 101 ESPN bracket. I took him from the By the way, check out all the picks at 101 ESPN on Twitter. Yeah, a lot of homers. Uh, But not me, because (laughs) this is what I believe is going to happen. It feels pretty good. Who'd you guys have winning? We've all got the car. Uh, are you talking about the World Series yeah, or the I'm first round? About, who do you have in the World Series? Because I picked a dark horse from the other side, too. I, I, I have I picked, the Astros. I picked Twins in Cincinnati. I, I think weird stuff's going to happen. What I, the? Whoa. And you're criticizing I don't mind the Cincinnati, to, to be I mean, totally honest with you. I think it's going to be a weird postseason. I think we're going to see some upsets in this wild card round because it's a three-game series. Yep. And so you're going to see some teams that make it to the NLDS and the ALDS that you weren't expecting. And then, boom, suddenly you're seeing the Marlins in the World Series. Yeah, I've got... The, I don't think that's uh, I've got the Twinkies Maybe. and the Dodgers in the okay. final, and Twinkies. I got the Dodgers winning. So yep. it, uh, multiple things. There are a lot of things that went into I know, the way, way off on that one. The, well, who knows? Well, there, there's I know, so many I mean, things. Pick the Dodgers. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's not tough. really a ballsy live. move there. But there, uh, there are a few things that went into when I was doing mine. I couldn't put the Yankees or the Dodgers in the World Series due to one of the bets you'll see on this board behind oh, you. Oh, yes. So I have uh, the Yankees or the Dodgers not making the World Series for $20 against Anthony Stalter. So I'm not going to very well bet against myself in something else. So that was one. And then, um, yeah, I'm a Cardinal homer, so I was going to ride them out. That's pretty much how that one went. So before we get to the show today, I know. I know we're running out of time. I had a question. You're the best guy for it. Is the writers sport the baseball writers are the one that select the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. And and they're doing hockey too. And here's my beef with that is okay. I think you should have some managers, coaches, slash even some of your current Hall of Famers be on that vote. And the reason why is because Brian Kenny made a great point and he he did and BK clarified it. He said he would love to see Yachty in the Hall of Fame, but his actual numbers are maybe problematic okay. to getting him on there. So I'm like, I said, BK, well, who picks these dang things? And he said, well, the writers. Well, the writers sometimes as much as they report about the game and nothing against writers, they may not know all the intricacies that make a guy a Hall of Famer or so great. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. And I, I think largely the writers do a really good job, and they're dug in, and they do talk to people. They try to build, uh, for the most, at least the guys that I know, especially everybody here in St. Louis, everybody that covers the team, mm-hmm. does a really good job of like building the narrative. So whether you you know something or don't know it, uh, you know from playing, uh, you ask the people that do. Like you you do, they do a good job of building the story. But I love that idea. Why not have a collection? 
collection of some, uh, a little bit of everywhere to vote on who Executives, these Hall of Famers coaches, are. Yes, players, for sure. The people it, yeah. that see it from different angles and without, everybody's going to have their own bias. Everybody's going to have a slant one way or the other on a player in a market. Yeah, but right? hopefully that offsets exactly itself, right? by, by being able to pick from, from different areas. So um, maybe it takes more voters. I, I will say not every player is as dug in as you would think most players are dug in. Like they're saying, oh yeah, that guy's good. Yeah, Hall of Famer, right? Maybe they didn't dig in as much either, but it goes back to the idea of a culmination of people. I love that idea. And by the way, for anybody that wasn't listening to the Brian Kenny interview, I would first of all recommend going to the 101 ESPN app and checking that thing out. But at 601. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Black Friday savings at the Home Depot, you can get top brand laundry sets with the latest tech to tackle any mess you might face this holiday, like automatic fabric and load size detection for spills of any size, from cookies and milk on your favorite holiday sweater, to the toddler of the house discovering just how fun cranberry sauce can be. Make more magic this holiday season. Let your new appliances handle the mess. Shop Black Friday savings and get up to 30% off, plus instantly save up to $750 on select LG laundry sets at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Offer valid November 2nd through 30th. U.S. only. See store or online for details.